He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 3, 2022. I'm excited about this show because Eli Bremer is my guest. He's perfect on a Labor Day weekend as we kick off the political season. He wanted to be the GOP nominee for the United States Senate, but Joe O'Day got that designation. Eli Bremer explains what happened to his campaign and the one before that where Randy Corcoran beat him out for Colorado State Committeeman. Now, Randy Corcoran is a guy I know from Denver Trump Radio. I left. Corcoran took my slot 9 a.m. Saturday morning after they removed me for not being sufficiently supportive of Donald J. Trump. What a terrible week the former president had. It's becoming evident. He not only stole classified documents, they are missing now. The guy's a traitor. He's a klepto. He's all that. So what will they do on Denver Trump Radio? Well, they're getting rid of Randy Corcoran. He gets booted to 5 o'clock on Saturday to make room for Peter Boyles, who was the guy who said about impeachments one and two, hey, these are bogus, audience. They're really coming after you and me, the Trump voters, not Trump. He bought that bullshit, and he continued to swill it and sell it and turn it into commercial advertising until he realized he had hosted Joe Altman. Joe Altman, who is at the heart of the Colorado connection to the big lie involving Dominion voting systems out of Denver. Joe Altman, an obscure podcast host, he had a show and he had it every afternoon with little notice, at least by me, until he made a claim that he intercepted an Antifa call. It was from a muckety-muck Eric Coomer at Dominion. He was going to rig the election. Where do people get this nonsense? I'll tell you where. Randy Corcoran started that nonsense to beat Eli Bremer in a race the first time Eli Bremer got to know Randy Corcoran. You've got to hear that sound. Hear it right now. What about that fun controversy? At least I thought it was fun because it involved Randy Corcoran, who, heck, I used to like him. In fact, I was the guy who invited him over to 710 KNUS. Way to go, Craig. But now he's getting pushed out of my old time slot by Peter Boyles. That's another story. But I just took my measure of the man, and I found him utterly lacking. He's a fellow member of the bar. In fact, he graduated Colorado College. I don't like saying that, but what are you going to do? He did. And I, I just... Remember that you got into something with him way back when it involved a, a meeting that was recorded or what was it? So th- this went back to I was a, a volunteer 
and a Senate district chairman. And when COVID hit, uh, this is again one of the big problems with the caucus system. Uh, when COVID hit, there was there was no provisions in the state law for what to do if you couldn't have a meeting. And so uh, the state legislature met. They passed emergency laws saying, "Okay, we're going to punt it back to the state parties." The state party met and they formed emergency bylaws that were effectively written by my dad. He's the chair of the state bylaws committee. And uh, under those under those rules, the the chairman of the district could exercise discretion in holding the meetings to nominate people to the ballot. Um, and I was a Senate district chair. I had uh, one of the largest districts uh, in terms of Republican voters. Uh, all, the, all the districts have the same number of citizens, but the the number of Republicans, one of the largest districts in the state. And so we had about 190 delegates, maybe 200 delegates. And this was the early days, March, March of 2020. And we weren't able to meet in person and I couldn't find any infrastructure. I reached out to the state party and said, is there like a, you know, Skype account? Zoom was just coming online at the time. And so we, you know, they didn't have anything to help. So we strung together a, a system whereby we would allow people to vote using um, uh, an email account that was monitored by the state party that I had no control over. Uh, and there was an ambush nomination, which has again become incredibly frequent with the caucus. Um, a gentleman who had not campaigned, who's not particularly mentally sound, decided he wanted to run against Larry Liston, who had been campaigning for months and months and months. And Larry cleaned his clock, got, I don't know, 78% to 22% or something like that. You have to get 30% to get on the ballot. Um, and, you know, it was high participation. We had almost everybody participate in the vote. But um, this is one of the issues with the caucus system is it's very, you know, it's sort of a, this bizarre system and very few people understand it. And so I was running for national committeeman at the time and someone approached the, the candidate who had run um, and again, he, you know, in all seriousness, the man has psychological issues. Uh, he was saying things like we hadn't let him vote and he had already cast his ballot, you know, so it was that sort of level of incompetence that was going on. Um, and no, no, I'm running... getting a little lost because you said the okay, candidate so, yeah. was goofy and I've already said yeah. what I think of Corcoran. Are you talking okay, so about right the candidate yeah. or Corcoran yes. or both? So, so well, I'm about to get to that. So, you know, again, it was no surprise that the delegates had soundly rejected this candidate because he was kind of loopy. Anyway, I was running for national committeeman at the time. And um, and so I don't know how it wound up happening, but Randy Corcoran was also running for national committeeman. He reached out to the, the losing candidate and said, I want to represent you. And a case was put together against me going to the state party, which, you know, there were a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happened along the way, but the, the state party generated a document that basically said I had rigged the election and it was whole whole cloth made up. Um, it was, you know, the, the state executive committee had, I, I had people on the inside who said, everybody knew you had done everything right. And Randy Corcoran had represented Dave Stiver at that meeting. Uh, and it was, and everybody knew it was a setup for an inter-party, you know, office because we were both the lead candidates for national committee man and so um so he so, pulled a dirty trick on you by claiming you rigged an election i believe so yes and i think the state party now agrees 
Wow. Did you know all of that about Randy Corcoran and how he got that job? If you listen to the entire interview, and you should, after a great back and forth with our troubadour Dave Gunders, his song, This American Dream. But Eli Bremer explains that Corcoran and the Neville family and Rocky Mountain gun owners is behind this. And it really is an assault on democracy, an assault on voting systems, conspiracy theories winning, rigging elections while claiming other people are. It really is quite something. And then Randy Corcoran, if you listen to the whole interview, Bremer makes the allegation that Corcoran, like so many people, do it for money. He uses it as a platform for his law firm, gets hired by you know, real conservative types, the audience for his show. And there is an audience like that. Dan Kaplan's markets to it as well. He advertises on Randy Corcoran's show, but it was Randy Corcoran who long ago knew Joe Oltman. I didn't know Joe Oltman. Randy Corcoran did, and he's the guy who brought him to Peter Boyle's. And now those two are hating on each other. That's why it's going to be interesting when Boyle's does his show. And then it's fascinating that Eli Bremer thinks Corcoran should be castigated for representing Tina Peters. Recall that really Tina Peters isn't represented so much by Corcoran as she is by my former partner, Harvey Steinberg, who became a former partner because I'm not going to represent Tina Peters or Mike Lindell's money can stay out of my pocket. And Mike Lindell was in Mar-a-Lago with those secret documents Holy cow, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And yes, Lauren Boebert and Tina Peters. Listen to what Eli Bremer says about Corcoran representing the likes of election deniers like Tina Peters. These are the threat to democracy. So let's stick with Randy Corcoran because the guy is still a state committee man. And is he still a fly in your ointment? I mean, uh, I... I hear him talk on the radio, and he says wild things. He uh, is big in election denial. He has a lot of clients that he gets through being a party guy. Is he one of those snake oil salesmen you were talking about? Well, he's he's representing some people, and you know, again, anyone, everyone's entitled to confident legal representation. I'll caveat that, but you know, I think it's very concerning if you're a, an officer of the party. To be, uh, to be representing people who are in such bizarre legal straits and they're bringing such discredit on the party. Now, here is the thing. Joe Biden made a speech in Philadelphia on Thursday night. It was good, but too much screaming in the background. Let's go, Brandon, that obscene Trumpian type MAGA phrase, and then the sirens that guy was blowing, the red lights, the blue lights. It was Joe Biden, not at his best, but the words were right. MAGA is a threat. That's what this podcast tries to make plain. And boy, you have to hear the end of the Eli Bremer interview when we talk about Trump and this guy who will call out Corcoran and Oltman. Wait till you hear what he says about Donald Trump. But first, I want to give you a taste of what he says about Joe Altman, because this guy's got guts. Let's see if Peter Boyle says anything about Joe Altman. 
That'll be the test when he comes back on Saturday morning. And, you know, it's all a podcast. Some people love to listen to me right away on Saturday morning. And who can fault them for that? 9 a.m. Colorado time. Episode 112 in a row. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Michael Bailey. Thank you, Apple Podcasts. Please rate, subscribe, like it. Anyway, back to Joe Biden. He called MAGA out for the violent insurrectionist, loving, bullshit artists they are. Not all Republicans. He even said not a majority of Republicans. But Joe Altman, definitely. And that guy acts like a mobster boss because he has a a mean visage. His former partner, uh, Max McGuire, has left, and apparently they are in quite a social media and podcast war. But it's Eli Bremer who brings the heat against Joe Altman. And he talks about him here as a preview to the interview, which comes up later in the show. And And these are people... You know, Joe Oldman is, in my opinion, a domestic terrorist. He's threatened he's a me what? personally. He's a what? I, I think he's a domestic terrorist. He's called on the violent overthrow of the government. He said that Jared Polis should be literally hanged, not figuratively. He's he's called on various Republicans to be um, to be executed. And he said, I'm not joking. I actually think we need to start publicly executing people. Um, and so... You know, that I made I made statewide news back in December when I was running for Senate because he put that nonsense out there. And I said, I'm not going to play that game. I will never share a stage with this man because he does not represent the values I represent. You know, and it's not about, you know, less taxes, limited government. I'm sorry. When you go out and say we're going to execute Jared Polis. Now, I'm not I'm not a fan of government Polis politics, but. My wife and I pray that he does well, you know, that we we hope that he governs well. We disagree with his governance. But, you know, I I like to beat him at the ballot box. I, I don't think it's appropriate to call on him to be executed. Now, that takes some guts. Eli Bremer goes all out against Joe Altman. Joe Altman, who's being sued, along with Randy Corcoran, along with Gateway Pundit, Well, it all comes up as we discuss it with Eli Bremer. Here's another preview of this fantastic interview with GOP stalwart Eli Bremer. And a lot of people don't know this story, but I followed it with Joe Oldman, who I had never heard of before. But apparently he and a partner named Max McGuire, they, I think, wanted to be like Capless and Silverman back in the day. And they had a regular show that didn't get popular until... Uh, Joe Altman said, hey, I, I'm i like Randy Corcoran, who accused, uh, you know, Eli Bremer of rigging an election. I know that the election was rigged against Trump because I intercepted an Antifa call, and uh, the guy is Eric, and it's Eric Coomer at Dominion in Denver, and Donald Trump really won, and uh, don't you know it. And we can all say that's not serious, but Altman was invited into the Trump inner circle. Randy Corcoran took him on a tour of Can U.S., put him on his show, got him to Michelle Malkin, put him in touch with Sidney Powell, put him on Peter Boyle's show, and now Can U.S. is getting sued, and so is Randy Corcoran. And the judges said that case can move forward. He didn't like being sued in Denver. He also represents Gateway Pundit, which is a conspiracy theory 
terrible side out of Missouri in that lawsuit. So this guy Corcoran's in the middle of all of this mess. Did you know all that? Yes, I did. And the gateway pundit is, it's, it's just, it's gotten so bad. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to experience borderline violence down here, uh, with people who are believing this nonsense. The Gateway Pundit published an article that that said that the Senate, well, basically they, so Fox 31 in Denver had hired a company to do data entry for them on election night. And, and according to Fox 31, uh, I think it was an intern at an outsourced data entry firm had flipped the, the names of the people in the election on Senate 9 from Paul Lundin, who's the, the Senate leader for Republicans, and he was challenged again at the, at the assembly by Linda Zamora Wilson, who is sort of a, a fringe alt right, you know, conspiracy theorist. Um, and you know, the, the truth is, a distant relative of hers is it's nowhere near close. And you know, she lost the election seventy thirty almost. Right. Uh, but but Fox thirty one put the wrong graphic up. And they had her winning. And so the Gateway Pundit came out and said, oh, this is a sign that it was called on election night and then the machines flipped it. No, anybody of us who's ever worked in the media, I mean, I've done a lot of television work broadcast for Olympics. We practice with graphics packages and stuff like that. And, right. you know, when, when we're doing major productions, you know, the NBC Olympics has 3,000 people working on it. So we don't make a lot of mistakes. But when you're dealing with a tiny little TV station. Your point is, it's ridiculous. And, it's worse and than so, the National Enquirer. It's just horrible. Well, and so, and so Joel Altman went out and said the what? election was stolen and this. And, and so, you know, I'm sorry, but, if, you know, again, everybody's entitled to legal representation. But, I, you know, if but, I were a lawyer, I wouldn't be representing that type of client. Right. Gosh, I anticipate problems when Peter Boyles comes back. One, will he go after Joe Altman? Gosh, Joe Altman was so excited to be on Boyles' show. We played that sound. I played Boyles over and over. He uh, was uh, called out by Judith Berg in episode 101. Go to that. He called her the K-word, which is the worst word you can call a Jewish person, and he did it. That's episode 101. On episode 48, he capitulated to Randy Corporate and said, okay, I won't talk about Trump anymore. I can't take it. The audience is after me. You are after me. Let's see how that goes. And then he took it back, episode 81. Other episodes, I've chronicled his racism, his anti-Semitism, culminating with him calling me Craig Kaepernick. What a racist bastard that guy is. But good luck. I will listen. I will listen just to see if you will take on Joe Altman the way that Eli Bremer did. Or why don't I suggest this? Why don't you have Eli Bremer on? Or is Peter Boyles afraid? I want to talk about Joe Altman. Who is this guy? When did you first become aware of him? So I became aware of him about a year and a half, two years ago, maybe. Um, an associate of mine asked me about this shadowy billionaire up in um, Douglas County that was saying he wanted to to sort of take back the state. And I, I know how to do opposition research. I started researching the guy and I said, this guy's not a billionaire. And he said, no, no, he's, he's telling everybody he's a billionaire. Um, and that was sort of the first time that I realized that he was embellishing. 
uh, as, as FEC, he started this group, FEC, Faith Education Commerce. He sold some people on this, that this was sort of the new grassroots organization. Um, but it was pretty clear from the beginning that there was something else going on. Uh, you could see by the data collections, they were requiring people to, to give them their IDs coming in, which I guarantee you were scanned and the data all snatched from that, you know, from from a point of view of data collection, it was a pretty brilliant move. Um, but it, it got more and more bizarre. And, you know, Oldman's told me he's going to sue me, uh, which I'm sure is not a, a real threat because I've, I've said it, it's turned into nothing more than a cult. Um, if you look at the tenets of a cult, they've got a charismatic leader who's sort of predicting the end of the world, has this hidden knowledge that nobody else has. Uh, you have to trust him. He keeps on saying things that are demonstrably false. Um, and FEC has sort of digressed into a cult group. With, um, with Altman as the cult leader? 100%. Funny thing, and you will have to listen to the whole interview. I thought maybe he was talking about Donald Trump being the cult leader, but no, it was Joe Altman. And then I bring up Donald Trump. What about him? And that's the fascinating part of this interview. This is a great show. It starts with our troubadour who has a song that I think is just beautiful. I'm a fan of Dave Gunders and his music. It's as good as Simon and Garfunkel, and they were pretty good, right? This American Dream, well, here it is. After a message from my friend Michael Bailey, our attorney Michael Bailey, our being my beautiful wife Trish and mine, it's a great week in America, Labor Day. I hope you have a great weekend highlighted by this podcast. Listen to Michael Bailey make some long-term family estate planning and you will feel better, right? It worked for Trish and me. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend, five stars, subscribe and all of that. Where else are you going to hear people talking about what's really going on in Colorado state politics? Thank you, Eli Bremer. What a great interview. Episode 112, enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, 
instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Craig. Troubadour. How are you? I'm here in Colorado. You know how things are here, although you left me. What's up with that? I'll be back, friend. We'll have a walk, see how things are going in each other's lives. How is New England? And how is your father, your wife, your children, everybody? Thankfully, everybody's well. My dad was 98. Got through COVID and he's out of the, out of the woods there doing better. So that was that was uh, really. He survived good to come Munich, home. World War Two, Tenth uh, Mountain Division. Did you hear there's a fight about Camp Hale? Whether to make that a national, whatever. Anyway, I heard oh. about it. Your dad's a hero. Do you remember what episode he was on? That may have been thirty-one, Craig. Might have been thirty-four, but I'm going to try to put it in the show notes. But. I, I'm glad you took some time from your Labor Day vacation. Or is it just Labor is it an August vacation like all the swell people in the world? Well, it's it's our family vacation. That's the important thing. It's really nice uh, here here in Maine. I'm over in fact as as we're talking, I'm standing on a deck, a little wooden cabin, and uh, overlooking this beautiful lake in Maine. And I know what you are looking at, because I was there. Do you remember the Olympics were on, and Benny and Sam were with me? And Wow. Anyway, you go every year. I go was once the, in a uh, while. Right. Was that the Olympics with Bolt? Yes. That, that was Bolt. Yes. And remember. we took a trip to Bailey Island, but you went without me. You probably had lobster without us, too. Well, but true, but I sent you a video. So I was thinking of you. I'm thinking about you because this song is perfect and wonderful. My gosh, this American dream, it's a classic. What inspired it? That was, um, I, I think I was just thinking of, uh, it was a time when people, a lot of people were in debt. You know, it was, a, it was the recession. And uh, I think that um, I, I wanted to convey, you know, the idea that maybe losing your house, you're losing your house, basically shedding your debt and, and starting again uh, could be a, a positive thing, you know, somehow coming to grips with it. And when you talk about the recession, are you talking about right now or probably 2008, 2009, right? Well, that's when it was written. So, but it's pertinent. I mean, it'll be pertinent in, in the other cycles, I think, you know. I think it's but, pertinent for Donald Trump and his thoughts about Mar-a-Lago right now, you have the most dramatic start for your song, Take This House, I'm Done With It. Maybe that's what he's going to claim. Hey, it wasn't even my house, those classified documents. I don't even know who lives here. I don't. Well, well I see, I, you know, I, I like the way you can read whatever you want into my songs, Craig. Well, this Mar-a-Lago stuff is getting deep. And I'm just thinking that if he was the average drug kingpin and they laid out the evidence like they do when they have kilos of cocaine or guns, they laid out the top secret documents. And I can tell you the feds would be seizing the property. So 
seriously, take this house, I'm done with it. He might be done with Mar-a-Lago. Anyway, it's getting pretty darn dramatic. But I like your concept, and I bet you struggled with, what do I name this song? Because This American Dream is a beautiful title, don't get me wrong, but don't owe nobody nothing, that's your refrain, and that's a pretty good one. Right, right. It's it's it, and it was the feeling actually that I had at one point in my life where I I had overcome some debt and felt pretty good about things. So, um, what a great line! Yeah. Don't owe nobody nothing. I mean, forget about money, but maybe that's if you had a wonderful retirement, it, you get up and you think, I don't have to do anything. I don't owe right. anybody my time or my attention. I mean. This song is more about money, but you know what I mean? It's like you on vacation. What do you get up? Well, you know, like at 10 o'clock, drink all night. What are you doing? <laughs> Neither. I'm up early. I'm a morning guy. And in, in Maine, I like getting up fairly early, like 7.30, have some coffee, go down to the dock. You know, usually uh, that's when I play guitar. Sometimes I'll read and uh, I'm up there, you know, up for a couple hours before the family gets up. When, and then we, you know, then there's... Then there's a flurry of activity, so it's been great. So for a while there, early in the morning, you don't owe nobody nothing. Who are the beautiful backup singers, Rachel and Sarah? Yes, yes. They do such a good job. In fact, I'm with Rachel now. You know what? As you When you called, Craig, I told Rachel, I said, I'm going to go through the repertoire here of this new project, see what songs I think you might want to sing on. So we're, we're, we're beginning our, uh, you know, uh, basically, our next project together. We're, That's so how it starts. Can yeah. I give you some feminine input from my sister, Nancy, who's a quality listener to our show? And I notice a line in your song. Do you remember how you described this American dream? What's it about? Well, I, re- I remember the idea, and I haven't listened to it since you know you called. I you said it's about, a, it's about, about a, it's about a castle and a sure. king. It's yeah, more than a castle and a king. It's well, it's more than a castle, and it's it's about. And I remember the the uh, the idea of um, is getting you know getting a second chance at bat. No, but what I'm getting at is patriarchy, because really right. this right. American dream about a castle and a king. That sort of rhymes, but Queen might have been even closer to Dream, and yet you made it about a king because you're a guy, and we grew up with a patriarchy. Do you acknowledge that? Oh, I acknowledge that, Craig. (laughs) Yeah. And, And see, now do your daughters get to tell you what to do with the music, or you keep telling them? Well, I mean, we try. I try. I try to uh, just kind of introduce things to them and see what they like, you know. Because that's as um, well from both the fact that they're my daughters, but just as someone who's producing something, you want you want the singers to kind of join in on, you know, choosing what they what what moves them, like a song that that they can relate to. Right. They're going to sing that song better. No, we all have these choices to make. Thanks for being a good sport on this. Another line in your song that just blows me away. So apropos for right now, times are testing everyone. Right, right. But not you. What's it like to be on permanent vacation? Did you achieve (laughs) full vacation mode? Are you in it right now? It's a a wonderful vacation mode. It's not permanent by any means. In fact, we're we're flying back Saturday. So today's Thursday. Our return is imminent. And uh, 
So every, every moment counts here. Well, thank you for the gift of this American dream. It's a beautiful thing. And you know what I don't care for much? Because I sent you an article that some people have even politicized the American dream. Like, we're the party of the American dream. No, we are. Right, you are. Right. Or, and people who you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. Well, what dream is that? Your dream, Martin Luther King's dream, the American dream? I don't know. It's like, it's a political statement in a way. Have you ever yeah. said that when somebody says, how are I you? Hope, I, you know, I, no, I haven't. I think pointedly I have not. Because I, Same I, that, here. That's, to me, that's a, it's kind of an annoying response. It's, uh, I don't know. I could get into it. But anyway. No, no. you get into it. I'm just curious because it bothers me. It's kind, of, kind of a sarcastic thing about, you know, um, that, that somehow life is disappointing you, you know, somehow it's somehow it hasn't come up to, you know, your, your expectation. To me, it's, it's that it's, it's sarcastic. It's sarcastic. You have a fascinating perspective and my gosh, this song, this American dream, it's a beauty, Dave Cunders. Thanks again for doing this. Finish off that vacation in style. Love to everybody. Thank you, Craig. All right. Look forward to seeing you. Shabbat okay. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bye. Bye. Take this house, we're done with it. Won't be no love lost, friend. Cause it ain't a life when you're under it. Gonna give it up. Start again Maybe some good will come of it There's that little town by the bay and On some rented porch We'll light our torch And laugh every time we say Don't know nobody nothing This American dream About a castle and a king Well there's more to the dream Than that It's more about the chance To dance your own dance or Take another turn at bat But there's So much uncertainty Times are testing everyone Doing with less Could be for best no more sweating under the gun don't know nobody nothing Selling our soul Climbing out of this disaster Like climbing up out of a hole Don't know nobody nothing Don't 
Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hello. Hey, Eli. It's Craig. Thanks for doing the podcast. Sure thing. Have you done podcasts before? <sighs> Many times. You know you can swear on mine if you want to. <laughs> That's okay, I won't. Well, thank you. It's a nice uh, evening. I've already started the Labor Day weekend, and that means, what, the political season begins in earnest? Nobody better to talk to than you. You are a prominent Republican. You sought to be the U.S. Senate candidate from the Colorado Republican Party. You came up short. We will get to that. You are an accomplished Olympian, a network sports broadcaster. Boy, am I jealous of that. You know all about Colorado Springs, my college town. My podcast likes to feature Colorado Springs all the time. And you are an entrepreneur. And first and foremost, you're a daddy. And you put your kids to bed. Thanks for doing it on a late evening. Well, we just finished. Uh, we're reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, we just finished um, The Horse and His Boy last night. So tonight was the first chapter of Prince Caspian. And my dad, uh, who's another great Colorado Republican, uh, used to read that story to my older brothers and I. And now I'm, I'm passing that along to my son, and it puts him right to sleep. Well, let's talk about your famous family. Tell everybody about your roots and the Bremer name. Well, it's, you know, most of my family's from the East Coast, and the, the most prominent Bremer is, of course, my uncle, Ambassador Paul Bremer, uh, who 
it's, it's sort of a funny story. I, I grew up calling him Jerry. Everybody in the family calls him Jerry. And so I sort of know when people actually know him, they'll refer to him and say, hey, I know your uncle Jerry. Um, and yet sometimes, you know, people will say, I'm a good friend of your uncle Paul's. And that's obviously a, a giveaway. But he was the head of the coalition provisional authority in Iraq. Uh, after having had a career in the State Department, uh, he was he had nothing to do with the combat, the the war that led up to it. But after uh, Jay Garner, the 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 general who was originally put in charge charge of the reconstruction, uh, it was sort of widely viewed that it, the reconstruction of the country was beyond his scope. Uh, the intelligence community had largely botched that. Uh, the intelligence going in, they thought Iraq was much more advanced. Uh, so my uncle was called on uh, to head up the civil reconstruction, uh, helped Iraq write their constitution, set up the government, uh, set up the departments of the government, and then 14 months later, returned power to the Iraqis. So uh, during my first attempt to make the Olympics, I was uh, watching him all over the news while I was traveling, and that also led to a pretty substantial security risk for me, but it was just part of being in the family. Gosh. I remember him well. Didn't he always wear khaki pants? Well, no, it was the khaki boots. He'd wear he wore a business suit in khaki boots. Khaki and, boots. I knew there was and, something you know, khaki about Paul Bremen. Yep. Yes. And, and I I think those boots are like in a presidential library now or something. But he um he really felt like the the Iraqi people needed to see professionalism. They you know they're they're very different. Iraq and Afghanistan are, are wholly different operations. Afghanistan was a nation-building operation. Iraq was a reconstruction, much more like post-World War II. Uh, and so my uncle came in and said, I think the Iraqi people are, are much more sophisticated than what are what we were seeing in Afghanistan. They need to see professionalism. They had a lot of dignity associated with their civilization and their, you know, their government. Uh, it had just been, you know, three or four decades of tyranny under Saddam Hussein. So uh, he, he tried to set the standard of professionalism, and that's why he was wearing business suits in the hot sun out there. Um, and again, it's he, he really hasn't talked much about his time there afterwards. He does some interviews, but you know, he, every time I see him, he says, you know, it's we wrote that constitution. We're almost 20 years in. They peacefully transferred power like seven times. Uh, so in, in many ways, it's been a pretty good success story. I think it's a little shaky right now, but it's been a while, and, <laughs> that and, and shaky. Our, our country <laughs> may be a little shaky right now, but what about yeah. your uncle? Did he? How old is he now? Uh, you know, he is 81 years old, and like my dad, he refuses to act his age. Uh, he bikes, I think, over 100 miles a week. Um, you know, he looks like he's he's 80 going on 60. Um, and, uh, my, my aunt died three, about three years ago. Uh, he got remarried, uh, and to another, to another widow. And so they're, and they're how, living how out in the outskirts. same age or a lot younger. No, my, my dad gives his older brother grief, said he's robbing the cradle because she's 70. So that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so they're, <laughs> my dad and his, and his brother are very good right. friends and, um, so, uh, it's all in good jest. Yes. Yeah, except for the 80 year old women who would like to date your uncle. I mean, that's not <laughs> fair to them. Anyway. Um, what about you? Talk about your own family. You said, uh, you put on, sounds like you put on a production for your kid. We did this. Is, is it a family event or what's going on? Well, I, I grew up here. I have two older brothers. Um, my, 
my dad and mom grew up in uh, on the East Coast in Connecticut and uh, went to top schools out there and then uh, really decided to to sort of kick the the New England lifestyle to the curb and they wanted to raise their kids with Western values. So uh, they moved out here when I was two. Uh, I've never lived and you know, no, no recollection of living anywhere else. Uh, but they bought a small ranch just north of the Air Force Academy, or I call it sort of a family farm, and raised horses and sheep and goats and donkeys and ducks and chickens. And uh, we had a pet rattlesnake for a while. That was probably not a good idea. But Wait, North uh, is still in El Paso County or Douglas County? Uh, yep. Unincorporated El Paso County. So it was just uh, one exit north of the Air Force Academy. Uh-huh. Um, and then my parents sponsored cadets growing up. They wanted us to have really positive role models. Uh, so we sponsored cadets. And uh, as a result, it, it really baked into my brothers and I, this concept that serving in the military was a great idea and a very noble thing. And all three of us uh, wound up serving in the military as officers. So my oldest brother went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, he's still serving as a colonel in the Air Force. My middle Shout, brother Give went, him a shout out. You know, you can say your brother's name if you're proud of him. Uh, I am proud of him, but given his job oh. and what he's doing, I'll 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 not do that. He's he's been very highly trained by the government. He's he went to Harvard for grad mm-hmm. school, got a doctorate, and um, he's Dr. doing some Bremer. cool stuff. There's a uh, well, everybody in my family is Doctor Bremer except for me. I'm the dumb jock because I didn't do anything that got me that title. <laughs> so, um, and then my middle brother is a physician. Uh, he was a special operations flight surgeon. Did four combat deployments. Uh, with the, so the nobody, nobody could get into law school. No, my dad went to law school. Oh. So yeah, so uh, nobody could get into Colorado College. No, no, we <laughs> we didn't do that. We didn't have the money for it. So we all uh, that was part of the impetus for my brothers and I joining the military because unlike the Biden administration, we you know we felt like we should work our way through college. Can I so, just ask, if, is there any real rivalry between CC and Air Force? I mean, for I a Colorado so. Springs native, even in hockey, I mean, you remember when CC was yes. good. Oh, yeah, hockey. Hockey, yes. Um, but, you know, CC is so culturally different. I know. And it's, Isn't you know. Isn't that beautiful, though? Isn't that America? Right there. <laughs> it, it is America, but it's definitely culturally, it's very different. When I was a cadet, um, we used to, you know, trek up to UNC and Colorado State uh, looking for, you know, potential dates. And, uh, you know, CC just never, I, I didn't know, I have a single friend that dated anybody from Colorado College. So um, oh, they just no. didn't, just, I know, just not much, uh, not much interaction between it's schools. A, it's a small elite school. I don't blame you for well, going north, and you know it's like Horace Greeley said: "Go to Greeley, maybe you'll find a girl, and you look." That's right. So tell well, us about I, your stellar military career. Well, I I graduated the Air Force Academy with a degree in economics, and what year was uh, that? That was two thousand, mm-hmm. um, and I was one of only three people in a class of a thousand who actually wound up getting stationed right back here in Colorado Springs. I was assigned to Shriver Air Force Base as a contracting officer. Um, you have to have a business background, business degree to, to be able to do that. And uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, the Air Force gave me a $3 million spending limit at age 22, which was pretty bizarre. Uh, but it, it, it was sort of breathing through the fire hose. Uh, 
and I learned a lot about how the government does business, what it could do better. Um, I had okay, a great now it there. sounds like you're running for Senate again. I mean, no, how did you lose saying, with this background? I got to believe well, you're a rock-ribbed Republican. <laughs> Every, are all Brummers, not only do they have advanced degrees, incredibly accomplished, but I bet there's not a Democrat in the bunch. Well, if there were, we wouldn't admit it. But no, there there aren't any. Um, and uh, well, how how so, far back does that go, and why? I I've got a I've got a cousin who I think's a dem. I got a couple cousins who are Democrats. Um, most of the Bremer clan's Republican, um, and it goes way back. My uh, my um, my dad's side of the family was very strongly Republican. You know, going back, I don't know how far, but they were businessmen. Uh, my mom's family were uh, I mean, dairy farmers. I mean, the Republican Party really only goes back to Lincoln. And, well, and I, no I, I just wrote a column about Schuyler Colfax. He was a Republican. So was it back to when the Republicans were the good guys and they ended <laughs> slavery? I have no idea. I, I know it goes back to my granddad. Um, and I, who died before I was born. What part, and what I don't part know. of America? Uh, they were out in, on the East Coast in Connecticut. Well, they were Connecticut Yankees. They were on the right side of that fight. So I'm going to give That's them right. the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> That's very generous of you. But what about you? How come you are a Republican? I, you know, I I grew up, my parents homeschooled us uh, growing up. And I, we, we grew up sort of in a Christian conservative family um, and went to an evangelical non-denominational church. I listened to Rush Limbaugh. That that started me down the path of understanding economics. Um, and then it, you know, my dad was a county commissioner when I was in high school. He got elected county commissioner, so I was sort of got a little interested in politics then. But El didn't really Paso County Commissioner, I take it. That's right. Yes, he was. I and mean, can I just back you up on this homeschooling thing? Have you done that yeah. for your kid? No, no, he's in a charter school. My wife's on the board of the charter school that he goes mm -hmm. to. Um, and, but my parents did it sort of experimentally. Um, and it was, it was the early days we had. Hey, can I just stop you again? Because yes, Rush Limbaugh, gosh, one, he, he, he had that great voice until he died, but he came on noon to three midday guy and you are being homeschooled, but you loved Rush Limbaugh. I'm just wondering if that was part of your schooling what do you call it? The uh, School for Conservative Excellence? You the know all that advanced, stick. Go ahead. Advanced, I think the, the Excellence in Broadcasting Institute for Advanced Conservative Studies or something like that. Right. But, yeah, we, you know, we, we listened to him, um, you know, pretty much from the start. And we went up to Dan's Bake Sale, if anybody listening oh, has. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that goes way back. Now, now when um, you say from the start, because I first heard him in Tucson when I was with an old girlfriend. And I said, who is this guy on AM radio? So maybe he hit the Colorado Springs market before he hit Denver. Do you remember what you were listening well, on? I I don't. I think it was AM 1300. And, and it was from whenever he started out here. Um, I remember we would listen to him over our lunch break because we, you know, we take an hour, hour and a half off at lunch, and uh, we would listen to. 
an hour of the of the show. He was like so, nothing ever before, except for Alan Berg. I got to listen to Alan Berg. That's before your time, before you were born. He was slain in Denver. But Rush Limbaugh, I was fascinated by him. I listened a lot. And and I just think he was very influential, don't you? Well, he had, he had a big influence on my, uh, I think, on my thinking, um, because he... You know, he, he's been very different from a lot of other radio talk show hosts where he really delved a lot, especially in the early days, into uh, into free market economics. And so I grew up listening to that for entertainment. And when I went to the Air Force Academy, uh, I, I really didn't know what the study of economics was. But I took my first econ class and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a this is a kick in the pants. I love this. Uh, I got you know, I got a solid A in the class, barely had to open a textbook. And I, a lot of it was just, I think I had grown up thinking that way. And so that's, you know, just fell in love with economics. That's why I chose it as a major. Wow. Did you ever get a chance to speak to Raj Limbaugh about all this? Never did. Uh, never tried to call into the show. I don't think it probably was, would have been too scared. Uh, and uh, never, never met him in person. The closest I ever got to him was, that Dan's bake sale. Uh, in fact, my parents still have a spatula signed by Kelly, Dan's wife. I have no idea if they're Tell still married. Tell everybody this story about so Dan's bake sale. I, I was listening. We were listening over lunch one day, and this guy calls in, and he wanted to get a copy of Limbaugh Letter, which was a subscription back before you had you know websites and all this kind of stuff. And Rush said, well, I could just give this to you, but I would make you a ward of the show. And at the time, Bill Clinton was president, and uh, these kindergartens were having bake sales to reduce the national deficit. And Rush was sort of mocking that whole deal. And he told Dan, he said, you know, rather than make you a ward of the show, why don't you have a bake sale? And, and then you can raise the money to buy the Limbaugh letter. And very soon, I don't know if it was the same show or the next show, someone called in and they're a famous chef and they said, we're going to, we're going to make the cookies. And then it, it, it just mushroomed from there. And I want to say it was thirty to 50,000 people showed up um, to Dan's bake sale. And it became this massive event. It shut, in shut Fort down Collins. the town. In Fort Collins. That's right. And, um, and that was the only time I ever saw Rush Limbaugh live as he spoke there. We were, my brothers and I took our 1976 Toyota Corolla up there um, and uh, drove up and back and, and bought some cookies and listen to Rush Limbaugh speak. So it's the only time I, I never met him, but I did see him. And did you continue to admire him to his dying day? Do you still? Um, I, you know, I didn't, I, I just didn't have time to listen much. I mean, when during the rest of my career, I, it was never quite the same as when I was growing up. Uh, and so, you know, honestly, I, I, I was not a regular listener after that, just because, life got in the way. So I have no idea, you know, where the show went, if it was the same I listened to or not. Uh, yeah, I'd see him periodically on Fox News. But aside from that, I, you know, I probably listened to a short segment once a month. Uh, so, so how many uh, years would you say you were brought up on Rush Limbaugh? From about what age to what age did you listen I, all the time? I, I want to say he he started. I can't remember if it was the late eighties or early nineties. And I went to I, I went to the Air Force Academy, well, in ninety six. I went to high school. I went back to high school in ninety four. So probably the better part of four or five years 
uh, we're listening on a pretty regular basis. And was your family religious? Very much so. That was one of the things that that drove my parents to Colorado was they, you know, they had sort of a faith awakening uh, right around the time I was born. And they were living in the outskirts of Washington, D.C., didn't like what they saw. And they said, we want to we want to sort of start over. Uh, and they they became very devout uh, evangelical Christians. And my dad, uh, my dad and mom have run a Christian nonprofit for over three decades. My dad's worked, volunteered thousands and thousands of hours for Christian nonprofits, uh, and predominantly in Colorado Springs. But uh, as, as early as I can remember, he was an attorney for Eastern European Bible Mission that was smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. Uh, and so, they, you know, my parents were very involved in that sort of, you know, their faith definitely was very impactful on me and my brothers. I was saying to somebody that I would lose on Jeopardy if I had to understand different denominations of Christian faith. Like, what's the difference between a Protestant, a Methodist, and a Lutheran? And I would just, I'd throw my hands up because I just don't know. One, do you know all that? And, and what denomination are you? Uh, you know, I grew up non-denominational. Uh, we go to a Calvary church now. I couldn't tell you the difference, you know, between what does the various that even mean? I know in the Western know. what the cavalry is. Yeah, I don't. It's I. I don't know. I have no idea. I just know we like the church. We like the pastor. We like the people that go there. So you know, my wife grew up in a uh, First United Methodist church, a very old First United Methodist church where families went for generations. Um, and it was it was actually kind of funny. The first time I went down to uh, to meet her parents, and I went to their church, and in Sunday school class, uh, someone asked for prayer because their daughter had fallen away from the faith and had attended a Baptist church while at college. Huh. And, I was, and I was looking around at first, I started laughing, thinking it was a joke. Uh, so I, I'm like you, I, I actually don't really understand the differences between the denominations. I, you know, I know what I believe and I know what I like to see in a church. Nice. And the nice thing about uh, your, your wife's church is almost every town you go to, there's nice Methodist church. It's old. It's historic, right? And it it had a foothold, at least I think in this part of the world. What part of uh, America is your wife from originally? She grew up in South Georgia, um, and her dad's a pecan farmer there, and uh, her mom was a school teacher, just retired. But you know, very great people, hard workers, and. Uh, she had not really done a lot of traveling. When we met, she came out to Colorado for an internship, and we met when she was in college, and I just graduated. Yeah. Were you wearing a uniform when you swooped her up? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was, But I was at the Olympic Training Center. She came out to do an internship. Well, that'll do it. And Yeah, there you go. So, And, and she, had, she was probably the only girl in the class that was not looking around to try to figure out which guys were available, and uh, yet we wound up falling in love and getting married and been married now 19 years. Beautiful. And how many children? We just got one. Um, he's our miracle child. He uh, almost died in when he was, uh, when my wife was giving birth to him, he was a pound and a half at 27 weeks and spent 105 days in the hospital. 
Uh, we started out in Denver, 60 days up there, 45 down in Colorado Springs and oh the, and the, uh, yeah, and the NICU. And, uh, that's, that had obviously a pretty profound impact on us. My wife nearly died. Uh, she was in the ICU. I want to say for about a week and they gave her a 25% chance of dying and oh. him a 25% chance of dying the first day. So, uh, well, was, was, that, was it a difficult pregnancy and if I'm getting too personal, stop yeah. me. Was it difficult yeah. or did you anticipate yes. or was it out of the blue? Uh, so my wife's been very open about this. She has a very rare disease that was not well known. Uh, in fact, she was one of the earliest cases of it. It's a vascular disease. And uh, it, it, they, they didn't know when she got pregnant that it was going to cause problems as we progressed. Uh, they said, okay, we're, we're now we're very, very concerned. And she was counseled multiple times to consider termination. Uh, that, that was not in the cards for us. We, uh, you know, had been wanting to have a, a kid for a long time and, and said, nope, that's, that's not where we are. My wife said, I'm not, I'm not going to guarantee my life and give up my child's life. So, uh, so, so going into this, were you both, uh, pro-life? Yes, but not, I mean, more philosophically than practically. I I always say that it's like, it's easy to spout off whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, but until you're pregnant or with difficult pregnancy, you really don't know. It's kind of like capital punishment. Oh, I'm in favor of it or, but if you're sitting on a jury and you have to make the decision, it's different, right? So well, keep it, going. It's very different, and it, it's been very personal to us when people have, you know, in, in this last election, you know, people were accusing my wife of not being pro-life, and I sort of laughed and said, "When when the doctor says you your life is on the line, and you're the one making that decision, and you choose to save the child's life." You know, at that point, you can judge somebody else who's been in that situation. But, uh, you know, I, my wife and I definitely consider ourselves pro-life. With that said, we work on a lot of issues surrounding that. Uh, my wife sits on the, uh, the board of the Ronald McDonald House of Southern Colorado because we, uh, we spent two months at the Ronald McDonald House in Denver. What is your and wife's so, name? Uh, Cammie. How uh, do you spell Cammie it? with a C. C-A-M-I. And oh, I like she's a county spelling. commissioner. Yeah, she's a county commissioner down here. And wow, um, Cammy Brummer. So, that's right. And so you know, we you know we're the, one of the one of the top ways we activate. How long our, has she been in power down there? Uh, she is about to hit her second general election, so she's been in for just just shy of four years. Is she running for mayor? No, no, she's. I think the only person in Colorado Springs who isn't. Uh, so uh, that she's makes her happy. the power broker. Well, she's she's uh, she's got very sound judgment, except for her choice in husbands, um, and has definitely earned a lot of respect from people down here. So uh, no, she's fantastic, and as I said serves on a lot of boards, but serves on the Ronald McDonald House board, and we we support organizations like Hope and Home that are foster to adopt. Because uh, you know, instead of just saying we're pro-life, we we want to support the decisions surrounding that. Since we had to go through that, and want to you know, want to make sure people are are properly taken care of when they make a life decision. And this has a happy ending because you read your little boy to sleep. Do you want to say his name? And I hope he weighs yeah. a lot more than one point five pounds now. <laughs> His name's Struthers, and there's a Struthers. there's a family name. It's a family name 
and uh, he's in second grade now, uh, doing extremely well, studying Chinese language. Uh, the cynical side of me says that way when the Chinese take over, I'll have my own translator. Uh, but it was it was actually because I spent a number of years working in China and realized that uh, for better or for worse, China is going to be, you know, someone we're our, our country's dealing with. And, uh, you know, so he's he's done very well. And he's, they teach yeah, that at his charter school? They do. In fact, it's it's immersion. So he spends three hours a day only oh. speaking Chinese. Oh. So it's and, and I'll tell you, it's really funny to see a little blonde haired blue eyed kid running around the house singing Chinese songs. Um, and when he runs into Chinese people and addresses them in Chinese, boy, do they look shocked. <laughs> so uh, but no, he's doing fantastic. And, uh, you know, did all the, the summer sports that he could get in the summer from horseback riding to swimming to tennis to golf biking so he's you know he's doing great what is his middle name because struthers bremer has the potential to be the greatest but i need to know the middle name and maybe there's more than one well that that's actually his middle name and so uh, is he eli jr he is not uh he's named after his grandparents uh, his granddads so um so we we decided to give him that middle name. That's uh, that's my dad's middle name, Struthers. and that's correct. And it was his mom's main name. So uh, it, it's a family name. And my wife fell in love with it uh, when we were dating, and said, "If we ever get married and have a kid, his name's going to be Struthers." And so it was her it was her decision. And it's it's a very unique name, and it's he's the only Struthers anyone's ever met. What about all in the family? Sally Struthers. I well, bet he's, didn't watch that's the that last thing. No, no, but that's, no, that's the but last I, thing. It comes to mind. But I love the name Struthers. Yeah, he does too. It's unique as it's as unique as he is. So he's, uh, you know, most people know me by just my first name because there's not that many Eli's that run around, and everybody knows him by his first I love name, that which is name kind of funny. Too. Uh, Eli, Eli's coming. I can't keep. Yep, since I'm going to interview you, <laughs> yes, I'm getting ready. Eli is coming, and now here you are. Let's get to your uh, athletic prowess. Why are you so great that you actually were a superstar Olympian? Tell everybody about it. Well, that was uh, one of the most unlikely journeys anyone could take. Uh, Growing up, I was playing second fiddle to my two older brothers. Uh, Failed to join the swim team not once but twice because they didn't see a lot of talent in me. And when I was 13, my parents were hitting a rough financial stretch and I was, my older two brothers had quit swimming. I was on the swim team, but not doing well. And they pulled me aside and said, we can either afford for you to do piano or swim. And let's be honest, you've got talent in one, but not the other. So it's time to end your athletic pursuits. Um, and I was very disappointed. I, I, I idolized athletes growing up. I met some Olympians. I met an Olympian when I was five or six years old on an airplane and just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And to my parents' credit, they let me make what they thought was a very bad decision, which was to drop piano and to to swim. Uh, And that enabled me to swim five days a week instead of three. And as it turned out, I actually did have a fair amount of talent. It was just being untapped because I hadn't I didn't have enough days to practice. And so, uh, you know, making a long story short, by the time I graduated high school, I was the fastest swimmer in Colorado Springs history. I broke four city records. 
in my in my disciplines, the freestyle disciplines. Went on to swim at the Air Force Academy. I was also recruited to run cross country, um, and got into the sport pentathlon, which is shooting, fencing, swimming, horseback riding, and running. And grew up riding horses too, so it was kind of a natural fit for me. Um, I, I did make junior world championships in high school, and then uh, finaled in the junior worlds at the Air Force Academy well on the swim team and on the fencing team. And then uh, after after I graduated, it was very fortuitous that I was stationed in Colorado Springs, which was kind of random, but that enabled me to uh, utilize the Olympic Training Center. Uh, within a couple of years of graduation, I was number one in the U.S. and finaled with the World Championships, but broke my foot in 2004 in the lead-up to the Olympics. Uh, was rehabbing with Rowdy Gaines. We were swimming together, and Rowdy's the, the famous swimming commentator, triple gold medalist from 84. And he pitched me to NBC, and uh, they wound up hiring me, and and that's how I got the sports commentary job. But I decided to continue pursuing it. In fact, it was on the field of the closing ceremony of 2004. I was actually working on the field of play when I made the commitment and I said, I'm going to keep going. Uh, you know, this is not the end of my Olympic career being a broadcaster. I'm going to go to the Olympics. And four years later, I qualified for the Olympics, was ranked uh, as high as number two in the world. I think I was eighth or ninth going into the Olympics um, and had a you know, pretty, pretty phenomenal uh, overall career in sports. Oh, my gosh. That's why we were jealous of you guys, because you guys had better athletes at the Air Force Academy <laughs> than we did at CC. Did you ever read an Olympic affair or hear about Glenn Morris, who was a, a northern Colorado guy, uh, CSU, actually, and then he, he did the decathlon, won a medal, then kind of fell apart, it's part real, Anyway, you'd like that book. It's written by Terry Fry, a guest of mine on a prior podcast. Kind of sounds like you. You were good at a lot of sports. What do you think your wheelhouse is? What is your main strength? And well, and, and, and can I just say, I was swimming today just as a form of old man exercise, and and people, everybody's passing me by. I have to be the world's slowest swimmer. I think my kids started beating me when they were in first grade. Wait, could you make me swim faster? Oh boy, I, it's you know swimming's a lot of technique. I'll tell you that, and it's uh, it's been compared to learning a foreign language. That if you if you learn it as a kid, you speak it without an accent. But it's the the older you are, the harder it is. No, it's, it's like you know a what? golf swing. That's what I think. Yep. And if, you, if you're lucky enough to pick up a good golf swing, then that kind of determines it. And I'm pretty good at golf, but. You said something weird that you were not a fast swimmer, and then suddenly you were. How did how did that happen? Well, I I got into there's a whole other story behind this. I got into genetic testing uh, in a business deal and got my genes tested and discovered that I had what's called the delayed onset cardio syndrome, which means that I have to do more cardio uh, to get to my basic physical training level, which is a it's actually a blessing in disguise for the sport I chose because it enabled me to uh, to train much higher volumes, which you have to do when you're doing multi-sports. So um, I had uh, I was sort of diagnosed as a distance swimmer in high school just because I was you know I I just wouldn't give up and I was willing to do the grueling distances. But it wasn't until I was at the Air Force Academy that I started putting out pretty fast mid-distance times. And then my, my big forte, by the time I was at the Olympics, I was 
the second fastest um, short distance run swimmer in the world, probably one of the top five all time fastest uh, in the short distances, the 200 meter freestyle and the 3000, uh, the 3000 meter freestyle run. So, um, you know, I was in National Geographic. I was, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of publicity around what, what I was doing because I was, I was basically running division one level times at age 30 and it was a former D one swimmer. So, um, you know, there was, I learned a lot about myself over the time and, and, uh, you know, I just, I wound up being in the right place at the right time with the right coaches who were able to, to take me all the way. So it sounds like, um, one, it got you the right woman. That was wonderful. And you had an extra, you have an extra tank of energy that probably other people don't, right? When people are uh, ready to quit, you you kind of have a reserve? Uh, it was it's sort of like that, but it's more that my body could endure longer training sessions. And so um, and so that way it was a you know, pretty hardy body that, that didn't want to break down, although now I'm in my 40s and you know, six surgeries later, uh, definitely paying for what oh, no. I did in my 20s what and 30s. What kind of surgeries? But, Oh, I've had both hips, a shoulder, a knee, an elbow. Uh, you know, it's just uh, back back, but, back in your crazy training regimen days. How much would you pound? How what would you do on a big workout so, day? So, in the lead up to the Olympics, and and no one's ever heard of any program that was this tough since then. I would do like a Monday would be a six thousand meter swim, so that's about four miles. Uh, with intervals. And then uh, I would usually go to a shooting session right after that. Uh, middle of the day, I'd go to a 10-mile run and full warm-ups because we were getting ready for the heat and humidity of, of China. So I'd wear, you know, long sleeve shirt, pants, um, 80, 85-degree weather, um, and then swim another two miles in the afternoon, uh, just working on stroke and technique. Um, Tuesdays were uh, were focused running days, so I'd do about a two-and-a-half-hour treadmill run, we were doing supplemental oxygen. I'd, I'd breathe sea level oxygen while training at altitude to get my muscles and my mechanics used to running uh, sea level speeds. And so we do a, a very extensive warm up, stretching, you know, not running the whole time, but running a good chunk, probably about 11 or 12 miles total workout. Um, and then do about 40 minutes, uh, 40 to 50 minutes of hard intervals, and then a long warm down. Uh, and then about a three mile swim in the afternoon. Uh, so, and we do, we sort of repeat that uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturdays were typically uh, 13 to 15 mile burnout runs where you were trying to basically run through all your glycogen. Uh, and then that forces your body to want to store more glycogen, which is your carbohydrate, um, your, your fast acting carbohydrate storage. So, uh, running about 60 miles a week, swimming about 25,000 uh, meters a week and then you know two or three fencing sessions three to four shooting sessions uh it was pretty typical week wow when do you get to study well when i was at the academy i had to learn time management something something awful and then i picked up two master's degrees after um so you know i had a lot of time management i had to learn and um you know i'd never say i was the sharpest knife in the drawer academically but you know good time management and discipline will get you through a lot of education and when you were pounding that treadmill was that before it was before air Buds, but did you have anything you could listen to you know i made cds and we would we had a you know a cd player right there and we'd play 
you know, I'd have a, a track made out that was exactly the length of the workout or pretty close to it um, and listen to music while there. I have uh, typically two or three PhDs monitoring the workout. One would stand on the treadmill monitoring the oxygen going in. Another would monitor the speed and make sure that, um, you know, that all my, you know, heart rate and all that kind of stuff were within the tolerance zones. Because as an Olympian, you needed coaches who needed to monitor that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. And, but, you know, it's it's interesting. At the Olympic level, you're not the, – the coach-athlete relationship is wholly different from a developmental level. So when you're in developmental, it's very much the coach is the boss of the athlete. At the elite level, the athlete and the coach are really coworkers. So the athlete's sort of the, the front-line worker who's out doing it. Uh, but there's a, there's a very different relationship. So my coaches and I would meet every single week. We review training logs, upcoming training plans, talk about, you know, what are the goals were, were we meeting what we needed to, were we exceeding them? Uh, so it's, it's, very, it's a very different relationship than what most people think of a coach-athlete relationship. My gosh, I am stumbling into a lot of good information, like your wife being a bigwig in Colorado Springs politics. I guess we better advance to that. You must be a power couple because... You are politically engaged. Your wife is, too. Does that make you, too, the power couple in Colorado Springs? I don't know. We're, you know, we're involved, and we, you know, we, we enjoy what we do. My wife definitely enjoys more of the local politics, and uh, I've always been more, more inclined toward the, the, national, uh, the national things. I'm very interested in military policy and economic policy and things like that. So, you know, we do a lot of fundraisers. We do a lot of, of events supporting nonprofits and political work here. So it's, you know, it definitely has made us a more, more than average prominent couple in town. All right. I had my time at Colorado College, but I plead ignorance, but somehow I think that it's important what's going on in El Paso County. And that means Republican politics, because a lot of things that come out of Colorado Springs don't stay. And you guys border with Douglas County, and we've taken notice that they have some interesting characters, and uh, they are very very Republican. Is that fair to say? I mean, when I went to school there, El Paso County was uh, a Republican stronghold, and I don't think it's changed, has it ever? No, it's still very much a, a Republican stronghold, although, you know, it's, it's grown a lot. You know, we're, we're now an entire congressional district. El Paso County is basically its own congressional district. There's a couple precincts uh, in the, the fourth and the, the seventh districts, but the fifth district is basically uh, all of El Paso County and nothing else. So uh, with that said, it's, you know, it's definitely as it's grown and as we've had a lot of immigration in from Denver and California and other places, uh, it's not as hard conservative as it was before, but it's, you know, it's still reliably conservative. We'll have all five County commissioners are Republicans. We've got, uh, six of eight state representatives are Republican and, uh, four of five state senators are Republicans. Now, so, why do you think that is? Is it the military influence, the religious influence, both those things, something else? I, I think it's predominantly those two. Uh, you know, the military is historically, military members and, and veterans tend to be more conservative. And then 
Colorado Springs has been the home and sort of a mecca for evangelical Christianity and and Christian ministries from Focus on the Family to Compassion International, The Navigators, Young Life. So um, it, it's just been culturally, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reason for that. Um, and then therefore it also attracts people who like that, you know, uh, there's, there's more great churches here than just about anywhere else in the country. So it's, you know, it's attracted families that, that share those values. It sounds like it attracted your family for that. It, it definitely did. And, and I've seen it attract other people. I've also seen friends of mine from the military who get stationed here and they say, we really like the environment. Um, you know, beautiful, beautiful baby blue skies over the mountains, churches that they you know, feel comfortable taking their kids to, uh, schools that are, you know, that, that don't tend to have some of the nonsense going on in other areas. So tell us about Colorado Springs politics. I've run into John Southerns a couple of times in the last few months, and I know him. I've known him a long time. He worked in Denver in the U.S. Attorney's Office, then as Colorado AG's. We went to the same Quiznos a lot. We would just see each other. But I don't, all I know is what, he's term limited and now uh, what's happening there for the mayor's race? Well, he's term limited. The, the mayor's race is, I believe, in um, in April. And there's, I, I think, maybe eight people running. Um, now, it is a nonpartisan race. So our city government is nonpartisan, city council and the mayor. Uh, the mayor is now what's called a strong mayor. It used to be a um, city manager led uh, led role, but and the mayor was sort of a super, uh, like a super city councilor. But mm-hmm. for 12 years now, I guess, we've had a strong mayor. Um, and so this will be the third strong mayor because we had Steve Bach for four years and then uh, John Southers for eight. And this will be our third strong mayor. So um, I, I'll be honest, I don't keep as much up with the city politics because they're nonpartisan as the, the state reps, the state senators, commissioners, all, right, you know, well, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd rather talk about state party. Let's cut to the chase yeah. because you were trying to be United States senator. What happened? What derailed you? <laughs> uh, you know, the, just to be very blunt, the Colorado caucus system is just broken beyond repair. And um, does that you know, include look the Colorado State Republican Party? Because let's back this baby up. I think the first time we talked was you were getting in a controversy involving voting issues at a caucus. Tell me how. Remember that kerfuffle that kind of led to well, you start out. I mean, to me, well, the that, Colorado that Republican the- Party has had a schism. You guys used to be normal, then some wackos uh, took over. But you're a Republican. I'm not. Tell us what happened from your perspective. Well, actually, I'll back up and, and, and start with the caucus because it's what leads to all this. So the caucus is a you know archaic system where you have to show up at a certain date, a certain time, a certain location. You know, if you're at work, you can't be represented. If you're military and you're deployed, you can't be represented. If you can't get child care, you can't be represented. And so as a result, you know, in the, in the olden days before, you know, telephones for, and things like that, it made a lot of sense because it's a method in which you gather with your, you know, the theory is you gather with your neighbors, you you elect some delegates, they go off and, and select the party's nominee and things like that. Well, 
we don't associate that way anymore. We have Facebook friends, we have cell phones, we have all this kind of stuff. Um, and so the caucus system is a system that is easily rigged. Uh, it, it's easily exploited by fringe groups. And it is also the method in state law by which a party is formulated. And so a lot of the reasons we have problems with party politics here is because of where it comes from. Um, and, you know, the it's just a stupid antiquated structure. That's correct. And so the, the vast majority, 99% of, of people who are party affiliated will have no say or, or any, any say in who their party leadership is because it's an archaic system that, you know, a lot of people inside don't want new people coming in. Uh, when, when people do come in, they're oftentimes misled by snake oil salesmen on the inside. And so a lot of these problems, I, I've seen people come and go out of the system, and yet I've seen the same problems. And, you know, I, I look at systems rather than people because, again, a, a person, you know, you, you can have a, a socialist dictatorship and put Mother Teresa in charge and you'll come back 50 years later and they're chopping people's heads off. Um, and so the system matters. And this system is, is lousy. And because, so it's because a, some bad people have chosen to test uh, the strengths and the weaknesses of it, more the weaknesses, and they've realized that they can dominate with some strategies that really don't reflect the will of the people. Am I right? That's, that's correct. And, you know, a lot of them are you know, they'll denounce Saul Alinsky, yet they use his tactics and the rules for radicals. And um, it was, you know, it's it's disappointing, but th that's what they do. They obstruct meetings. They, you know, they coordinate with small groups of people and say, let's, you know, let's, let's cause obstruction. And then when the good people leave, they vote themselves in, you know, you start with 30 people in a meeting and, you know, you have seven on your side, you have to get down to 13 or fewer, and then you're a majority. So I've seen tactics like that used almost nonstop since I've been involved. Um, and Can I and it leads I, let me tell you, I go way back. And I'm not really a party guy. You are. And we're going to get right back to you. But I have a Colorado Springs story because I caucused for Frank Church, 1976, El Paso County Dem. And I got to the county assembly or something like that. Oh, boy. And now I could go to the state assembly. But then I realized that the teachers had their candidates. They were going to vote as a block. It didn't matter if I wanted to go. I needed a block to match the teachers, which was never going to happen. So in Democrat politics, the teachers union, at least back in the day, maybe even still, they can dominate just with getting their people to show up for stuff like this. And it's, well, isn't that kind of what you're talking about, but with Republicans? 100%. And it, and it bleeds into ballot access, which is what got me snake bit. Um, and it bleeds into party formulation. So um, it, it, the, the system is horrifically unstable. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's easy for fringe groups to rig. Um, it, it has sort of what we would call in economics uh, adverse incentives because mm -hmm. the, the people who have the most time on their hands and the least opportunity costs for participating in the cockamamie system are the ones who will do it the most. And those are, you know, if you think about it, that's it's, it's a system that, that requires immense amounts of time. And so someone who's productive, who's working, 
who's got a, a family that they're trying to take care of, their opportunity cost participates incredibly high uh, versus people who, you know, people who don't have ah, that. And so, ah, but what about you brought up uh, three words, snake oil salesman? If you could find mm-hmm. a way to do this and turn it into a money-making proposition, wouldn't that be the double play? Well, and that's exactly what happened after. So circa 2004, you had Jared Paul's past director, Tim Gill, uh, and some others get together and say, we're going to start playing with soft money here in Colorado. Uh, no, it had never been done before. The The pilot program for soft money was the um, – uh, Swift Boat Vets ads. It was funded by people out of, I believe, Wyoming. Um, and they were ruthlessly effective on John Kerry. And then Paulus and his friends said, hey, we can do the same thing, but at the state level. And so they started taking over the state at the time. And up until that point, the, the Republicans had been fairly well dominated by more business interests. And we didn't have, we didn't have uh, PACs, super PACs, and, or scam PACs. And uh, the Republicans, I think, learned the, the wrong lesson when the book The Blueprint came out because uh, The Blueprint talked about how the Democrats, these, these sort of ultra left wing Democrats, agreed to fund moderate Democrats to take over the election. They were predominantly driven by, uh, by gay rights issues, and they would hold their nose and vote for moderate Democrats. So a lot of the business minded Republicans, sort of the more what we call, I don't know, establishment by today's standards said, hey, let's pull out of let's pull out of the caucus and assembly system and, and, and let's do what the Democrats did and just fund whoever gets out of that system. But it had the opposite effect because while the Democrats were nominating people that they couldn't tolerate because they were too moderate, the Republicans, a bunch of sort of snake oil salesmen came in and they said, this is great. We'll push through fringe candidates that are um, that are uh, that are sort of tied to various entities or scam packs. And then they would run those campaigns and the business wing of the Republican party would fund those campaigns. And, and these sort of snake oil salesmen would wind up making a lot of money while their candidates would lose. And so you really start seeing that circa 2008, 2010. And, and then after 2010, you had Republicans lost everything. Interestingly enough, we had the, a Republican red wave that came across the country. And the joke was that the, the red wave came crashing on the beaches of Colorado. Uh, the Democrats controlled redistricting and reapportionment and basically crammed all the Republicans into a few districts. And it, it exacerbated the problem because now you had uh, Republicans competing to see who could be the farthest right wing as opposed to who could, you know, who could really form a coalition with unaffiliated voters, uh, common sense Democrats, and and you didn't you sort of lost the the era of the Ronald Reagan Republican at the time where where you had people that weren't in your party that actually liked you. And I I, I look at that as a tipping point where the Colorado Republican infrastructure sort of went kind of off the deep end. Actually it was uh, my radio show that messed things up. Uh, Scott McGinnis came on, kind of made a some damning statements about water articles, if you remember all that. and Oh, yes. And uh, we were in the middle of a lot of those races back then. And the Republicans found a way to shoot themselves in the foot. They have since Bill Owens. What's going on now with Colorado State Republican Party? Is it well run or is it a clown show? Well, it's... Um... 
<laughs> the, I was, sorry, I was just sort of laughing because you're, you're, you're right starting in 2010 and the joke has been that Colorado Republicans are often like the Palestinians. We never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Um, and so I think you have to, you know, you have to say, okay, there's, there's very, various different aspects of the Republican party. Uh, you've got the organization itself, you got campaigns, uh, you've got county parties and, you know, there are some pockets that are doing extremely well. Uh, there are some that, that simply are structurally, I look at the state party, it's just structurally not set up to be particularly powerful or influential. Uh, the Democrats shove campaign finance reforms down Colorado's throat at the behest of Jared Paulus because he was he's very strategic, he's a very smart guy, and he knew he had enough money that he could use his own money. And so, uh, you know, the Democrats basically said, we'll, we'll constrain the hard money, and that basically neutered the state party system. Uh, so, you know, state party has virtually no influence in the state. They can aggregate some funds. Uh, you have county parties. Some are very well run. I think right now Douglas County is pretty well run. Um, and there's a few other counties that I think are pretty well run. Uh, right, but what, like what, about it, what about that fun controversy? At least I thought it was fun because it involved Randy Corcoran, who, heck, <laughs> I used to like him. In fact, I was the guy who invited him over to 710 Ken U.S., Way to go, Craig. But now he's getting pushed out of my old time slot by Peter Boyles. That's another story. But I just took my measure of the man, and I found him utterly lacking. He's a fellow member of the bar. In fact, he graduated Colorado College. I don't like saying that, but what are you going to do? He did. And I, I just remember that you got into something with him way back when it involved a, a meeting that was recorded or what was it? So th this went back to, I was a, a volunteer and a Senate district chairman. And when COVID hit, uh, this was again, one of the big problems with the caucus system. Uh, when COVID hit, there was, there was no provisions in the state law for what to do if you couldn't have a meeting. And so uh, the state legislature met, they passed emergency laws saying, okay, we're going to punt it back to the state parties. The state party met and they formed emergency bylaws that were effectively written by my dad. He's the chair of the state bylaws committee. And uh, under those, under those rules, the, the chairman of the district could exercise discretion in holding the meetings to nominate people to the ballot. Um, and I was a Senate district chair. I had uh, one of the largest districts uh, in terms of Republican voters. Uh, all, the, all the districts have the same number of citizens, but the, the number of Republicans, one of the largest districts in the state. And so we had about 190 delegates, maybe 200 delegates. And this was the early days, March, March of 2020. And we weren't able to meet in person. And I couldn't find any infrastructure i reached out to the state party and said is there like a you know skype account zoom was just coming online at the time and so we you know they didn't have anything to help so we strung together a, a system whereby we would allow people to vote using um a, an email account that was monitored by the state party that i had no control over uh and there was an ambush nomination which has again become incredibly frequent with the caucus um, a gentleman who had not campaigned, who's not particularly mentally sound, decided he wanted to run against Larry Liston, who had been campaigning for months and months and months. And Larry cleaned his clock, got 
I don't know, 78% to 22% or something like that. You have to get 30% to get on the ballot. Um, and, you know, it was high participation. We had almost everybody participate in the vote. But um, this is one of the issues with the caucus system is it's very, you know, it's sort of a, this bizarre system and very few people understand it. And so I was running for national committeeman at the time and someone approached the, the candidate who had run um, and again, he, you know, in, in all seriousness, the man has psychological issues. Uh, he was saying things like we hadn't let him vote and he had already cast his ballot, you know, so it was that sort of level of incompetence that was going on. Um, and now, now I'm running... getting a little lost because you said the okay, candidate so, yeah. was goofy and I've already said yeah. what I think of Corcoran. Are you talking okay, so about right the candidate yeah. or Corcoran yes. or both? So, so well, I'm about to get to that. So. You know, again, it was no surprise that the delegates had soundly rejected this candidate because he was kind of loopy. Anyway, I was running for national committeeman at the time. And um, and so I don't know how it wound up happening, but Randy Corcoran was also running for national committeeman. He reached out to the, the losing candidate and said, I want to represent you. And a case was put together against me going to the state party, which, you know, there were a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happened along the way, but the, the state party generated a document that basically said I had rigged the election and it was whole, whole cloth made up. Um, it was, you know, the, the state executive committee had, I, I had people on the inside who said, everybody knew you had done everything right. And Randy Corcoran had represented Dave Stiver at that meeting. Uh, and it was, and everybody knew it was a setup for an inter-party, you know, office because we were both the lead candidates for national committee man and so um so he so, pulled a dirty trick on you by claiming you rigged an election i believe so yes and i think the state party now agrees um and so in the aftermath of that uh, i appealed the executive committee said that i had basically uh ripped off the election and they had the, the report that they generated was so faulty. Now, who, it was who is this laughable. executive committee, and how did that they're happen? 15, they're about fifteen people, and it was it had been taken over. You know, about seven or eight were you know in a in a faction that is heavily tied to a group that's not too active anymore, but it has been called Rocky Mountain Gun Owners. Uh, you had Patrick Bradley Neville Brown. was the that's his group. That's correct. Brad Neville and, and his father, and, right? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I don't know what their animus toward me was. I suspect that it was that I'm a young and up and coming guy and they didn't want to see that happening in the state. So anyway, the, the, the long and the short of it was I, I had people on the, I had a couple of people on the inside of the executive committee tell me it was a total hatchet job. Everybody knew I had done a good job, but they wanted to, uh, they wanted to give me a black eye and, and get Randy Corcoran into the national committee man slot. Uh, so who, who is they? Uh, Rocky Mountain gun owners, Dudley Brown. Yeah, it was. It was. I was told from people on the executive committee. It was. It was the the folks associated with that group. So and, um, I, and uh, I, Pat Neville. I mean, he was a powerful guy. He's just out of the legislature. I don't really he, he know him personally, but I know that he started dominating Denver Talk Radio out of nowhere. Did he control a lot of money? Was it advertising? Is it through Bandmare? What's going on? Well, he was um, he was the House Minority Leader, and so 
the 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 funds that were sort of allocated toward the election would run through him. He hired his brother. This was all public, and it was you know it's been you know, fairly well known. I'm not saying anything that's not publicly available. Hired his brother on some lucrative contracts to run the elections. Uh, he was accused by his colleagues of basically funding only people that would vote for him for leadership and costing seats because he didn't want to have his leadership position diluted. So again, I got caught up in all that. Um, fast forward, I wound up in a lawsuit because um, I it, it went to the state party uh, central committee. I, I, I gave a presentation that was on a conference call. Again, because it's during COVID, we couldn't meet. And I presented to the whole central committee. They gave me a whopping five minutes. And I said, you know, this is a total hatchet job. It's a political hatchet job. And you've asked me to falsify election documents. I'm an election official in Colorado. And you're asking me to do this. And uh, Congressman Buck was the chairman at the time of the state party. And he, uh, you know, after the, the state the state party uh, central committee failed to overturn the executive committee, in, in basically saying I had to uncertify the election and and trying to publicly flog me on it. And in the process of that, Congressman Buck, uh, we had the notorious um, recording where he said, you have to go certify that a person who didn't get 30% of the ballot got 30% of the vote. Um, a friend of mine had been recording the call legally, I'd like to point out. And I approached the state party after that and I said, you know, this is wrong, you know, and I'm a, you're going to wind up in court. We wound up in court with them. Um, Randy Corcoran uh, at that point had won the National Committee men election and did not represent the parties uh, after that or, or, or minimally, if I remember right. They went to uh, district court where the, the judge just walloped the state party and said, you're trying to violate state law and what you did is dead wrong. Um, State party wound up appealing to the Supreme Court, which turned it back and said, nope, this is correctly decided. And it's it's actually a pretty major precedent-setting case. But most people didn't know what happened until afterwards because I approached the state party and I said, you, you, you guys, you know, look, I'm a Republican. I want this to turn out well. I just need you to pay my legal fees and issue a public apology and exoneration because you accused me of rigging the election. Um, and the executive director had some pretty choice words for me. Uh, I want to, uh, he's a, a young man. His name's escaped me right now. He's, he left the state. Okay. Uh, I, I, I told people at, after this whole thing happened, I said, he, he's, he really needs to leave the state because his performance was so bad, but, uh, he, uh, you know, this, it played out in the national news and which I found very unfortunate, but I had been accused of, you know, nothing short of wholesale rigging an election and I, it was all done for political purposes. So, and, uh, and how much were your attorney fees that you asked them to pay for? Uh, it wound up between my vice chair and, and, and my fees about $25,000, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, and again, who, we're volunteers. Who were your lawyers? We had, my lawyer was John Buckley, um, but I had the, the smaller side of it. Um, and then there were two other lawyers who were involved, Wayne Williams and Scott Gessler were involved on, um, so it was a friendly lawsuit. So I was sued by my vice chair to block me from certifying the election. So I pled in, I can't remember the name of the pleading, you're the lawyer, you'd be able to remember, but basically I told the court, I have no stake in this. Um, I, 
I, you know, if the court directs me to sign a document falsely, then, right. you know, then it's on the court. It's not on me. Um, and so that was my pleading, but it was a friendly lawsuit brought by my vice chair to stop me from uh, committing a, a fraudulent filing a fraudulent form. So, uh, so did they pay your 25K or is that ongoing? Or whatever. No, whatever it was, it got paid. Uh, and that was part of a, you know, effectively what what was done was I said, you know, you guys screwed this up. So uh, so that I, I received a letter of exoneration um, that I agreed to basically keep private. A couple people tried to bring this out when I was running for Senate that I had supposedly rigged an election. And I had you know, said, no, I've got a signed letter from the state party saying it was a model election and it was a very unfortunate circumstance. But, um, you know, the details are less important, I think, than what you're getting at, which is that this is a flawed and corrupt system. And it rewards people who want to play those games. And frankly, I think Republicans are getting savaged in Colorado right now because of this, because that's who's attracted to the system. That's who performs well in the system. And if you know, Republicans are at a, at a severe precipice right now of becoming a, you know, an inconsequential party in the state. And one of the things I keep on telling people is Republicans got to be the adults in the room. Uh, and that, that starts with us acting like it. And so when we see the gamesmanship that comes out of this process, it sure doesn't seem like we're acting like the adults in the room. Right. Gosh, that's the lead. Flawed and corrupt system attracts flawed and corrupt people, right? So let's stick with Randy Corcoran because the guy is still a state committee man. And is he still a fly in your ointment? I mean, uh, I I hear him talk on the radio, and he says wild things. He uh, is big in election denial. He has a lot of clients that he gets through being a party guy. Is he one of those snake oil salesmen you were talking about? Well, he's he's representing some people, and you know, again, anyone, everyone's entitled to competent legal representation. I'll caveat that, but you know, I think it's very concerning if you're a, an officer of the party to be uh, to be representing people who are in such bizarre legal straits, and they're bringing such discredit on the party. I mean, Tina Peters is a dumpster fire. Uh, we, you know, we we know from reading just the reports that are open source in the, in the paper, it's not just a state investigation. The FBI is apparently who raided her house. Um, and so she, while she's under criminal indictment in the state of Colorado, she's almost certainly being federally investigated along with a number of other people that Randy Corcoran has been associated with, the Joel Oldman, Sharona Bishop. Um, and, and these are people, you know, Joel Oldman is, in my opinion, a domestic terrorist. He's threatened he's me what? personally. He's a what? I, I think he's a domestic terrorist. He's called on the violent overthrow of the government. He said that Jared Polis should be literally hanged, not figuratively. He's he's called on various Republicans to be um, to be executed. And he said, I'm not joking. I actually think we need to start publicly executing people. Um, and so, you know, that I made I made statewide news back in December when I was running for Senate because he put that nonsense out there. And I said, I'm not going to play that game. I will never share a stage with this man because he does not represent the values I represent, you know, and it's not about, you know, less taxes, limited government. I'm sorry. When you go out and say, we're going to execute Jared Polis. Now I'm not, 
I'm not a fan of government policies, politics, but my wife and I pray that he does well, you know, that we, we hope that he governs well. We disagree with his governance, but, you know, I, I'd like to beat him at the ballot box. I, I don't think it's appropriate to call on him to be executed. So uh, when you have a national committee man who is, who is cavorting around with, um, with people like that, it, it sure brings discredit on the Republican brand because it's, you know, that's fair game for the media. People say, oh, the, the media never gives Republicans a, a good shake. And I look at it and say, you know, we kind of hand them a baseball bat and then they hit us. Like, you know, what did you think was going to happen? Right. And a lot of people don't know this story, but I followed it with Joe Altman, who I had never heard of before. But apparently he and a partner named Max McGuire, they, I think, wanted to be like Kaplitz and Silverman back in the day. And they had a regular show that didn't get popular until uh, Joe Altman said, hey, I, I'm i like Randy Corcoran, who accused uh, you know Eli Bremer of rigging an election. I know that the election was rigged against Trump because I intercepted an Antifa call, and uh, the guy is Eric, and it's Eric Coomer at Dominion in Denver, and Donald Trump really won, and uh, don't you know it. And we can all say that's not serious, but Altman was invited into the Trump inner circle. Randy Corcoran took him on a tour of Kanye West, put him on his show, got him to Michelle Malkin, put him in touch with Sidney Powell, put him on Peter Boyle's show, and now Kanye West is getting sued, and so is Randy Corcoran. And the judges said that case can move forward. He didn't like being sued in Denver. He also represents Gateway Pundit, which is a conspiracy theory, terrible side out of Missouri. In that lawsuit, so... This guy Corcoran's in the middle of all of this mess. Did you know all that? Yes, I did. And the gateway pundit is, it's it's just it's gotten so bad. Um, you know, we're we're starting to experience borderline violence down here uh, with people who are believing this nonsense. The gateway pundit published an article that that said that the Senate, well, basically they. So Fox 31 in Denver had hired a company to do data entry for them on election night. And, and according to Fox 31, uh, I think it was an intern at an outsourced data entry firm had flipped the, the names of the people in the election on Senate 9 from Paul Lundin, who is the, the Senate leader for Republicans. And he was challenged again at the, at the assembly by Linda Zamora Wilson, who is sort of a, a fringe alt-right, you know, conspiracy theorist. Um, and... You know, the, the truth is a distant relative of hers. It's, it's nowhere near close. And, you know, she lost the election 70-30 almost. Right. Uh, but but Fox 31 put the wrong graphic up and they had her winning. And so the Gateway Pundit came out and said, oh, this is a sign that it was called on election night and then the machines flipped it. No, anybody of us who's ever worked in the media, I mean, I've done a lot of television work broadcast for Olympics. We practice with graphics packages and stuff like that. And, right. you know, when, when we're doing major productions, you know, NBC Olympics has 3,000 people working on it. So we don't make a lot of mistakes. But when you're dealing with a tiny little TV station, Your point is, mistakes get made. It's ridiculous. And, it's worse and than so, the National Enquirer. It's just horrible. Well, and, so, and so Joel Altman went out and said the what? election was stolen and this. 
And and so, you know, I'm sorry, but, if, you know, again, everybody's entitled to legal representation. But, I, you know, if right. I were a lawyer, I wouldn't be representing that type of client. Right. I agree. And, 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 again, and I take and again, a stand. And, and I've recently changed because of Tina Peters. I want nothing to do with Tina Peters. And we'll get to her. But I want to talk about Joe Altman. Who is this guy? When did you first become aware of him? So I became aware of him about a year and a half, two years ago, maybe. Um, an associate of mine asked me about this shadowy billionaire up in um, Douglas County that was saying he wanted to to sort of take back the state. And I, I know how to do opposition research. I started researching the guy and I said, this guy's not a billionaire. And he said, no, no, he's, he's telling everybody he's a billionaire. Um, and that was sort of the first time that I realized that he was embellishing uh, as, as FEC, he started this group, FEC, Faith Education Commerce. He sold some people on this, that this was sort of the new grassroots organization. Um, but it was pretty clear from the beginning that there was something else going on. Uh, you could see by the data collections, they were requiring people to, to give them their IDs coming in, which I guarantee you were scanned and the data all snatched from that, you know, from, from the point of view of data collection, it was a pretty brilliant move. Um, but it, it got more and more bizarre. And, you know, Oldman's told me he's going to sue me, uh, which I'm sure is not a, a real threat because I've, I've said it, it's turned into nothing more than a cult. Um, if you look at the tenets of a cult, they've got a charismatic leader who's sort of predicting the end of the world, has this hidden knowledge that nobody else has. Uh, you have to trust him. He keeps on saying things that are demonstrably false. Um, and FEC has sort of digressed into a cult group. With, um, with Altman as the cult leader? 100%. There, you know, there's people like Sharona Bishop um, who are, you know, I would say just as in tight. I, I don't know what their relationship let, is. Let, let me back both. up a little more because I think maybe the first time I heard of Joe Altman was through George Brockler. Yeah, and I got to ask Brockler about this because he brought him in as a live ad guy for something called Penn Network. And I've done a lot of radio, and I like to sell advertising to good customers, but it never occurred to me that a data collection company would advertise on AM radio. What do you know about Penn Network? What do they do? How did he make money with that? It was, it was some sort of a data, aggregated data firm. I've heard mixed results on it, and... and Oldman's, you know, attacked me on Facebook and said, I don't know anything about tech, which, you know, it, it's not that public, but I do, I am on a board of a tech company. And so I do know my way around technology uh, well enough to know that he's pretty full of crap when it comes to all the claims he makes about elections. No, but um, maybe, he he's, had, maybe he's an evil genius because if he scanned everybody in through FEC and with a data collection service, could he target and doesn't he try to sell stuff on his conservative daily podcast? He does. Oh, yes. They they sell everything. And and again, I, I look at this and I look at say say very cynically, you know, three words, follow the money. And so, you know, in his case, though, I, I think that you're dealing with a true cult leader, narcissistic personality. Um, and. But wait, Christy Burton Brown times. was president of FEC, and they're affiliated with Bandamere and Colorado Christian University. What's up with all those people? 
Well, Christy, to her credit, has left, and now Joel Altman is, you know, never misses an opportunity to savage her. Uh, her dad was involved down here in Colorado Springs, and I understand he has since quit. Uh, we had, you know, they, they did con some legit business people into uh, serving as, as sort of regional board members. And then at, over time, every every good person that I knew there um, wound up leaving and saying, okay, this is this is wrong. Like, this is not what I signed up for. And basically, you know, that's when I started realizing it was a cult when they started telling me what was going on. So I, I, I don't know. What, I have no idea. I, I know Oldman's got some money. He's not a billionaire. Um, he's nowhere near that. And so I don't know if it's about him making money. I'm guessing it has more to do with that. He's, uh, he's got that personality of a cult leader. Uh, he needs to have unquestioning loyalty to him. He needs to have all the secret knowledge that he's, you know, the people are looking to him and waiting with bated breath for him to say the next nonsensical thing that they all believe. And are, so, they, are they having meetings still at Bandamer? How is that going? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Um, for the most part, from what I can tell, they've moved to full virtual. Um, you know, I, again, I understand uh, he and Sharona Bishop and her family moved to Texas. Uh, the theory, you know, I asked some people what, what will be behind that, and the theory was extradition rules or something. I don't know. Are you I don't, saying I don't that know. has Altman moved to Texas? That's what I heard, is that he's down in Texas now, uh, and they've set up shops somewhere in Texas. Um Although I've also heard he bought some more, you know, business interests up here in my neck of the woods. So I, I don't, I don't say, really know. Yeah. I mean, Peter Boyles is afraid to say his name. So is George Brockler. You would think that he never existed, even though he was a major part of that uh, event at the World Arena. We have to get to that. But I'm having you on because you have the courage to call him out. Is that because you are a tough Olympian? Uh, did you have to think twice about it? Because the guy puts on his scary, uh, you know, Tony Soprano persona. Am I right? <laughs> he does. And he, he's a bully. Um, and, and he tries to act like he's a big, tough guy. Uh, you know, I, I, unlike him, I actually served in the military. I took combatives. Uh, you know, I know how to handle a weapon. And I don't, you know, I, I stood up to the biggest bullies you can imagine in the Olympics. I helped lead the reforms after the Larry Nassar scandal. You know, I received all sorts of threats there. Uh, my wife got threats. So, you know, when I see a bully like him, I say someone's got to just stand up to it. Frankly, I think more Republicans need to. Um, and, you know, he's, he, you know, th th when, when I stood up to him and he came out and said, I'm going to sue you for calling me a cult leader. I was like, knock yourself out. I can't wait to go into discovery, buddy. Um, <laughs> you're not going to like what I go after. Uh, and I got a, a bunch of lawyers that have said they'll represent me if you if you do. So, um, you know, I think I think more Republicans should stand up to bad people in our party. Um, again, from an electoral point of view, if we want to want Colorado voters to take us seriously, we better start acting a little more serious and talking about Dominion voting systems um, and and these demonstrably false claims. You know that that some third-rate TV station in Denver got it right when every other, you know, when the clerk's office, the secretary of state's office, all the local media down here somehow got it wrong. Um, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a cult and it's, it's got to stop. And I, I wish more Republicans would stand up to it. Wow. I mean, I, I admire what you are saying, but I don't think you go quite far enough because Altman 
is uh, isn't he the local version of Donald Trump? I mean, Trump's the guy who uses Altman. He's the guy who's got that bullshit rigging claim, just like Altman and Corcoran put against you. Well, it wasn't Corcoran, but I don't know. It just uh, Altman would be nothing without Trump. Am I right? Well, I think he's using that election to be fair. I I think this is going way beyond what Donald Trump has alleged. Um, and and I've made it clear, I think there were problems with the 2020 election, but Joe Biden won. Like, there were probably problems with the 2016 election, the 2012 election. Um, you know, I think we should continually march right, toward yeah, well, let's better, not, better. Yeah, let's not go down that yeah. rabbit hole, because I want to find out okay. about Colorado Springs, what happened in the yeah. world arena, and why you didn't get to be so, Joe O'Day. And say, why so, are you running instead of him? So the, the state assembly was a dumpster fire. And everybody I know who had been to multiple ones of these said it wasn't just that it was the worst. It was the worst by a mile. Um, and, you know, the, the group that claimed that the elections were being rigged were, in fact, the ones rigging elections. So my county, the estimate is that we had uh, 678 delegates and somewhere nearly 300 were probably illegally placed, not elected. Um, by our county party chair, who's multiple times wound up in court and gotten completely smacked down in court for doing corrupt, uh, you know, doing things that are not allowed in state law. What is her name? Um, Vicki Tonkins. And, um, you know, basically, you know, she's, you know, this is a woman who at the height, at the height of the early wave of COVID went online and said, on the on the party's Facebook page and basically said that COVID was a hoax. Um, and it was the day that we lost the sheriff's deputy here to COVID. My wife was dealing with that when I was downstairs, just opened up Facebook and saw that on the county party's Facebook page. And I thought we'd been hacked. Um, you know, so she's part of that sort of extreme fringe. Ironically, she was uh, heavily aligned with the never Trumpers. Then Trump came in and she's, you know, sort of now would say she's the forever Trumper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, let me guess, my wife, let me guess. She was for Ted Cruz. Yes. hundred percent. Okay. And, that, and the, the irony time. is same this, with, uh, Randy Corbin. Go ahead. Correct. That's correct. So, um, and so anyway, uh, locally we had very low participation in the caucus. Uh, which is, you know, caucus is getting less participation every year. On election night, on caucus night, my wife went to 27 precincts uh, in her county commissioner district, probably about 60 total. And she said over half of the precincts she went to had literally no, not one person attend the precinct caucus. Well, according to Colorado law, you have to attend, you have to, you have to get voted on on caucus night to become a delegate. You can get elevated to a more senior delegate position, but if you're not if you're not voted on a caucus, you can't become a delegate. Um, this is important because when she showed up at the county assembly, where she was ambushed by a gentleman who had no idea what a county commissioner does, but said he would vote to eliminate Dominion, um, every single delegate slot was filled. So there's no way to do that without violating state law and placing delegates in. So by the time you you rippled up all the fraud that happened in the Colorado caucus system. You know, in, in our own county, it was estimated that at least 30% of the delegates were fraudulent delegates. And then Tina Peters was running. And um, as a result of people like Anil Mathai, who's the chairman of the 8th Congressional District, 
who was trying to rig the election against Barb Kirkmeyer, who's now the nominee. Uh, you had Barb, you know, Barb Kirkmeyer pulled out of the, of the state um, convention or the, the congressional uh, convention. In the 5th District here, Doug Lamborn, the incumbent, pulled out. Um, he petitioned on. And Dave Williams, uh, who's you know, part of that sort of fringe group, um, you know, again, a never Trumper turned forever Trumper, uh, you know, went through the assembly. So by the time we got to the state assembly in at the Broadmoor World Arena, you had a really bizarre cocktail of candidates in sort of the second tier races. And you had Tina Peters, who was running around like she was a martyr. Joe Altman got nominated by Patrick Neville, actually on the floor of the of this um, convention to run for governor. And he gave up and made a speech about how terrible Republicans are. And this is at a Republican convention. Um, ironically, uh, the, the the folks that are causing a lot of the issues now are anti-open primary. And they say, you know, non-Republicans shouldn't have a say in our process. Yet they, they nominated not one, but two non-Republicans at the state convention. Joe Altman has said he's not a Republican. And then Randy Corcoran has a colleague that used to work for him that was nominated to be the um, attorney general. And it came out afterwards, after the vote, that he, in fact, was not a Republican. Um, and so it was that level of sort of a dumpster fire. Tina Peters got over 60% of the vote. This is a woman who's been criminally indicted on charges that she's admitted to. Um, and uh, I failed to make the 30% to get on the ballot. Ron Hanks did. He's a one-term state rep who raised $20,000, uh, didn't have a staff, didn't have any endorsements, didn't have a campaign, uh, just got up and said the election was stolen, and that was good enough for the delegates. So uh, and quite I found a party, out afterwards. Quite a party you have there. Mm -hmm. And I found out afterwards uh, from a couple of my contacts, two separate contacts told me separately, the National Republicans had just pulled Colorado and had me pulling dead even, uh, my bio pulled dead even with um, Michael Bennett. And I guarantee you there were bottles of champagne opened on the night of the assembly because they realized uh, that the, the candidate who they knew, they were doing polling, we were doing polling, we all knew it, that they, they'd taken out um, the best chance of, of us winning that race. What about so, Joe O'Day? Can he win? Um, you know, Colorado is a difficult state. Um, and you know, I think the last, I think Trafalgar had him down by six or seven points in the last poll. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of time between now and the election, but, um, you know, Colorado, as I said, is tough. Also, it's, uh, you know, historically, if you look at what wins in the house, it's veterans, minorities, and women tend to do well right now. So, um, you know, I think, I think that it would have been probably an easier road had Colorado had any, uh, you know, a nominee that was, that was sort of more in line with what's been winning nationally. I, I, I hope Joe the best. I think he's a good man. I got to know him on the campaign trail. Um, it's, you know, it would be Colorado is from all appearances right now, not on the national radar. Uh, we're, we're having issues in other States. Uh, you know, they just moved, I think 25 million to JD Vance's race in Ohio. Uh, that's not a particularly good sign nationally when we're having to defend Ohio. Uh, it, it looks like Pennsylvania is gone. And so when I was looking at the roadmap in Colorado, we felt like Ohio had to be locked down. Pennsylvania had to be locked down, maybe Georgia and Arizona before the national Republicans would fund Colorado. So, uh, you know, it's, 
it's looking a little tough for the Senate Republicans right now. I think the House is going to be um, it, we're, we're, we're definitely going to take the U.S. House back. The Senate's a more difficult race nationwide. Are you going to vote for Joe Day? 100% yes. What about guys like my old radio partner, Dan Kaplis, burnishing his anti-life brand, says I can't vote for him because the guy uh, is not pro-life like me? Well, I look, I'm pro-life. He and I disagree on that issue. Um, but elections are about choices in between the candidates who are actually on the ballot. I'm not on the ballot. Um, you know, and it's that's fine. I, you know, I didn't make the ballot. It was weird rules. I didn't make the ballot. I have a choice. Um, I can either vote for I can either vote for um, Michael Bennett, who I agree with almost nothing on, or I can vote for Joe Day, who I have pretty substantial agreements on. So I, I have absolutely no problem publicly saying, yes, I'll vote for Joe Day. I've told my neighbors, my friends publicly, vote for Joe Day. You just said there, it right a, now on my podcast. What about, I know you're not in his district, but Ken Buck, is all forgiven yes. or do you still hold a grudge? Look, no, I, they're forgiven. I, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in holding grudges. Um, and I actually, after Ken got ambushed and nearly thrown off the ballot at the at the state assembly as well, and I went up to him. I said, Ken, I think what happened was wrong. This is not the time to be engaging in inter-party disputes. You know, I don't think you should have been primaried. So, um, you know, he and I are on, I think, perfectly fine terms. We've seen each other a number of times since. What about uh, you and your good buddy, Kevin Priola? I have had one conversation in my life with Kevin Priola, um, and I don't know him. Uh, I'm disappointed that, you know, he's he's right now left. Um, you know, I'd, I'd very much like to see Paul Lundin be the Senate president. I think that, you know, if Colorado, I know a lot of Democrats that want to see Colorado move back toward the center. And I think that, you know, whatever he's saying, the reality is if he calls Colorado Republicans the Senate, you know, he can call himself a moderate Democrat. But the, the fact of the matter is there's nothing moderate about the Democratic Party in Colorado. It's very extreme, uh, particularly on environmental policy, anti-energy policy, regulations. Right, but um, he, he said two things were motivating him. You remember he said the, the election denialism and um, the climate change issue. The, the, well, don't look, you? He's a religious guy. Don't you take him in his word? I, I do, but I, I fundamentally disagree with him in those areas. On so the election denial thing, well, first of all, I, I I abhor the election deniers. Okay, I was very clear about it, and, and people attacked me when I ran for the Senate and said, "How can you say that the election wasn't stolen?" And I said, "Because it wasn't stolen. Uh, there were problems, but it doesn't. There's you know, not to go down that rabbit hole, but were there problems? Yes." Was the election stolen? Not to the not to anything I can tell. Now, on the environment, uh, I know a thing or two about environmentalism. I spent a decade as a global spokesman for the first carbon neutral neutral certified company in America. Um, the Democrats are a disaster on environmental policy. Their policies actually increase global carbon emissions. Um, I'll use as an example. I, I have a substantial interest in a development project down here in Colorado Springs. And the planners are telling us we're probably not going to be able to put natural gas into our development, be about 4,000, 5,000 units. Um, 
and those homes will have to be heated with electricity. Well, let's let's think through the thermodynamics of this. Um, electricity does not just fall out of the sky. Uh, on a cold night in December, you have to heat your house not with solar, with very little wind, so it's burned from fossil fuels because we won't go to uh, nuclear. And so when you burn fossil fuels, you're gonna, you change from thermal energy to um, electrical energy, you lose probably 30% of your of your energy in the process you you Can send I it about cry, 40 Uncle? miles let me yeah. let me say that you're you are smarter than me in this field and i don't want to debate climate change but what about you just saying uh election denialism is something you abhor but you respectfully did not win other people have won who do you think the most famous republican is in colorado I would say Lauren Boebert. Say, I'd say Lauren Boebert. Oh, I was, I was going to say Corey. Yeah, I would say Lauren Boebert. Okay, Corey Gardner, but all right. Probably now, and do you support yeah. Lauren Boebert? Look, if I were in the third district, I'd vote for her uh, over but a Democrat. But she's an because, election denialist. And that, I don't agree with her on that position. Right, but can't you cut Kevin Priola a break? Everybody says, oh, come on, election denialism. That's not a big deal because, like, Joe Day is not an election denial guy. Neither is Pam Anderson. But what about Lauren Boebert? What about the way everybody turned on Liz Cheney? I mean, I think well, it's not... a legitimate complaint on the part of Kevin Priola to say, you got to get the Joe Altman crap totally out of the party. And Lauren Boebert, she's part of that Sharona Bishop, Tina Peters crowd. Isn't she? Wasn't she? Uh, yeah, she and Sharona are, from what I understand, not on speaking terms or something like that anymore. Sharona was her campaign manager. I've had, I just know this from reading news articles now. But, um, you know, again, I look at the totality of the situation and say, you know, we just spent $300 billion on debt relief for students. You know, my brothers and I, my parents didn't have money when we were growing up to put us through college. We put ourselves through college. My business partner, I got a business partner who dropped out of college so he could go to construction. He's put his wife, his daughter, and his son through college, you know, and he's, you know, he doesn't get debt relief. Uh, so, you know, I look at the totality of what the Democrats done. Uh, they put boys and girls uh, in, in girls' locker rooms and schools. They brought us critical race theory. They've demolished our military. Um, and so when I look at the totality of the situation at this point, are, are there Republicans who are dead wrong to be election deniers? Yes. Are the Democrats destroying our country brick by brick right now? 100%. That, that being said, I think I've got the moral high ground on this because I've been very, very clear that I don't tolerate nonsense from my own party. And therefore, I have no problem also calling out the Democrats because I've come out very clearly and said, no, election denial is wrong. But so is putting a boy in the girl's locker room. And, you know, on the whole, I'm just so distraught by what the Democrats are doing that I have no problem being a proud Republican and saying, yeah, I've got some Republicans I disagree with. But um, on the whole, the Republican policies that aren't destroying our nation, we got some fringe groups that are a problem, but not the policies. Wow. Um, well, let's talk to the guy about the man at the center of this storm, Donald J. Trump. What, what do you make of him? <laughs> I, I sort of, I don't know, I, I laugh because what I make of him is that every, you know, I, I sort of think anybody who thinks they understand Donald Trump probably doesn't understand Donald Trump. 
Um, you know, and I started a while back not trying to second guess what was going on in Trump world. Um, I, I do remember, I, I, I tend to, when I deal with Donald Trump, take more of an analyst approach than a opinion, like, uh, than, than someone who's trying to opine on, you know, whether what he's doing is right or wrong. Um, I think that I remember in 2015 telling people, if you don't think this guy's a serious candidate, you got another thing coming. He's got universal name ID, lots of money, and he knows how to manipulate the media. And voila, he becomes the president. Uh, it's 2022. People are saying he'll wait until after the election to make a decision on president. I'm like, have you ever met the guy? Um, you know, Donald Trump will do what Donald Trump does. Have you ever met the and, guy? Uh, nope. Nope. Never have. I've been, again, I think I was like, I went to a rally. In fact, in 2016, uh, I remember I was, I, I called into Richard Randall's show down in Colorado Springs after going to a, the first rally I ever went for Trump and I walked in and I know everybody in Colorado Springs. And I didn't know anyone there. And I remember calling into Richard's show the next morning. I said, Richard, I, I've never seen anything like this. There's a whole new crop of people coming out and supporting this guy. And people who think they understand the political climate right now do not understand the political climate. And that's sort of the approach I take now. I, I Do I think Donald Trump's going to run? I don't have the faintest idea. If he runs, is he going to win the nomination? Right. But, I think he's but, probably got but, a pretty good chance. But, but you said some harsh things about the Democratic Party, and I have been proudly unaffiliated. But with due respect, I think it's the GOP that you have described. And we would have election deniers, maybe even Ron Hanks, but for guys like me, unaffiliated, who didn't vote for Hanks. I voted for Joe O'Day because he's normal, and there was nothing I wanted to vote for on the Democrat side. So I voted for Pam Anderson, too, and Heidi Ganahl, because they all came on my show, and they are the kind of normal Republican like you. Mm -hmm. But without... The help of people like me, I don't think uh, we would have the statewide candidates. So I get where Kevin Priola is coming from. And when I asked you about Donald Trump, you laughed because, and I, I think he's the furthest thing from funny because we can debate climate change. We can debate uh, economic policy, debt relief. But I see a threat to our democracy right now. I, I really do. I see people... Just like with your state caucus system, they want to push it to the uh, outer bounds, and really, it exposes the system can't hold. And that's what Donald Trump has done. And I just wonder why you you wouldn't agree with me on that. Well, look, I again, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and justify actions that President Trump, former President Trump, has taken. The reason I laughed is because when asked me to predict or theorize about what Donald Trump would do, I just sort of laughed because I said I'm I'm done predicting it because I just don't want to be wrong because it's like but, but I described Donald shouldn't he be in jail? Have you followed this Mar-a-Lago stuff? You're a military guy. Come on. Who who, yeah, who I, does this? So stuff? again, I think I think I've had a fairly I, I, I sort of pride myself on being the kind of guy that could actually sit on the jury, although I never have. Um and, and I've dealt with, you know, secret documents and stuff like this. Um, there's, I, I am not convinced based on what I've seen. I'm not convinced that the government actually had the right case uh, there. And again, I've, I'll call a spade a spade, but I'll be, I'll be really clear. 
what Hillary Clinton had on her private server was substantially worse than what I've heard Donald Trump is alleged to have had. And the issue I've got around President Trump right now is that I want to see consistency under the law. And what I'm seeing right now is inconsistency. I think politicians should be held to the same standard. But I look at, you know, you talk about a threat to democracy. The Democrats have openly said they want to overthrow the Supreme Court and they want to pack the courts. Now, you know, having one guy who, you know, is is doing things that are, you know, a lot of people get upset about that. You know, we have a riot on January 6th. People stormed the Capitol. The 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 reins of power were eventually handed over. And I think that's a testament to the quality of our institutions, the quality of some of the people there. If you pack the Supreme Court, you cannot find one single country in the entire world that has ever torn apart the judiciary system that is still a free country ever. And so I'll go right back and say, I'm deeply also concerned about what the Democrats are, are overtly saying they want to do. I know, but I can't get past January 6th. Can you? I mean, don't you hold Donald Trump I, responsible for that? Well, for sure, the, for sure, President Trump said things that were inflammatory that day. And I don't think that was wise. Um, I had a friend who is probably going to jail. He's uh, an Olympic gold medalist. It's been a very famous case. He entered the Capitol. That was illegal. Um, he, again, I go back to saying, shoe on the other foot. Why is it that we are prosecuting those people who should be prosecuted? Okay, so let me make no bones about it. If you illegally enter the Capitol, you cause damage to a government institution, you need to be prosecuted. But what happened the previous summer? We had riots everywhere in the country, and these people were praised. Show me the, you know, the, the swaths right, of people. But, but I, I were, feel like I, I and, and, you know, I worked downtown, and it was horrible. But I feel victimized so, like we almost lost democracy. And I don't think that January 6th was an isolated thing. I think with the fake elector schemes and, and all the different plans, the guy was engaged in a plot against democracy. And to me, that should trump everything else until we get that straightened out and we can get so, a normal Republican Party so that we can have normal politics again. I am all for everything you just said in terms of we, you know, I believe our, our system of government is swaying back and forth in a very precarious situation. With that said, I'm not going to be the Republican also that's, I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I've spent an hour and a half here talking about bad Republican behavior. But I also think it's important to point out that, again, we had a summer of riots where the Democrats, where you had Maxine Waters calling on structural violence. No, I got uh, you. And then, and, and then and you have, she's okay. She's not my patron. But, okay, but and, then, just, and then you had, right. but let me, let me finish out on sure. this. Okay, then, then you had um, Hillary Clinton who bleached that her servers, okay, what she had on those servers as a sitting secretary of state were, you know, what, what, what had to have been on there was substantially more than anything I've read to be alleged that was in Donald Trump's possession. And unlike Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, one of his things that he said, and I haven't seen this come to fruition, he just said those were declassified. The president does have the unilateral ability to declassify documents, okay? So that would sort of be an ironclad defense. 
Um, and yet right, the well, FBI, let, let, let me give you so, another so, Trump well, test. Let me, no, let, yes. me, let, me, let me keep yes. on going down the, the, the deal uh-huh. here, though. Okay, when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out, I remember reading about that. Not like I studied Russian in college. I speak a little Russian. I took three years. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with this, you know, not as familiar as, you know, a lot of other people. But th- this was purported to be a uh, Russian disinformation. It, it now appears that the FBI had actively pursued this and said, no, that's not an accurate document. But we now know that the Hunter Biden laptop was legit. And yet we see that the government, are, we have people inside the government pushing this. So I'm looking at this and saying, are there bad actors on the Republican side? Yes. Are there bad actors on the Democrat side? Yes. And you know what? You got to fix the two simultaneously. Because here's the problem. If the Democrats get their way, they want to pack the courts. They want to bring socialism to America. Okay, I've, I've been, I've traveled to socialist countries. I went and saw, um, I, I went and saw Tolslong in Cambodia, where they've left the blood on the, law, the walls. I've seen the thousands of skulls on the, on the floor of the killing fields in Bottom Bomb. Sounds like where, you're running again. No, I, no I I'm saying, I'm saying no, I have I don't seen, like, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to defend socialism. I'm really not. But would you have voted like Mitt so, Romney? Sir, the, I, I think did you favor any of the impeachments of Trump? No, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Uh, on the Ukraine one, again, I found a great of um, yeah. When when Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was testifying that the president yes. was was undermining national uh, the national strategy. I'm sorry, but I was a field grade officer. Also, the president sets the national strategy. That's like literally it's impossible to do that. And and then again, when we discovered the Hunter Biden laptop, which came out after this, what Hunter Biden was doing over there was wholesale corrupt. OK, we, th- this is now you could prove this in court. He was selling American national interest over there. Had Joe Biden not been running for president, then then Donald Trump's actions over there would have been unquestionably viable to root out corruption of the vice president of the United States son selling governmental interests in in the Ukraine. And here, now, here's the thing. Then, I, I, there's a guy named Peter Schweitzer who wrote a book called Clinton the Cat. She followed it up with another book about the Biden family and John Kerry's stepson doing dirty business. He also implicated Mitch McConnell. So I'm very sensitive to all of that. In fact, so, I was so sensitive to it I voted against Hillary Clinton in 2016, and I voted for Donald Trump, and I regret that because I thought well, she was too corrupt. And to me, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, there is some corruption. But honestly, like the level, you can call out Joe Oldman as a cult leader, but you can't call out Donald Trump. Why not? So let me finish answering the question. You, you asked the question, not did he act perfectly appropriately, but should he have been impeached? So let me finish out why I don't believe either impeachment was a good idea, because I'm a systems person. The reason I don't believe in packing the court by either side is because it will lead to a systemic failure. And and with the Ukrainian deal, there's a difference between doing something improper. And, you know, I think the Republicans were wrong in impeaching Bill Clinton. Did they have the legal ability to impeach him? Yes. Was it a responsible thing to do? Probably not. Okay. And so the reason I have a problem with this is Donald Trump left office on January 21st and Joe Biden was sworn in because Joe Biden won the election. 
The system worked. The impeachment turned into a political theater. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the chances of Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or, or people like that calling for the impeachment of Joe Biden the second that Kevin McCarthy becomes the Speaker of the House? I'm going to go with nearly 100 percent. Correct. And has has Joe Biden done things that are impeachable? 100 percent. OK, do I want to see Joe Biden impeached? No, because our system is spiraling out of control and we need to we need to stop the massive oscillation back and forth that's been going on, which is one of the things our founding fathers set up the system to try to prevent this from happening. But for a variety of reasons, it is happening. And I do believe that there will be pressure. And then people are going to send out fundraising letters and say, Kevin McCarthy's a squish because he won't impeach Joe Biden. And I truly believe that every president from here forward may wind up be getting impeached, which means that when, when you've got the slam dunk case and you need to remove someone, we've made impeachment a political slap on the wrist as opposed to a serious, I don't believe you should engage in impeachment unless you have substantial bipartisan support. So you asked the and question, should the he problem, have been impeached? Right. The answer is no. Right. Because, okay. because and, we can't get anything bipartisan because you and I just agreed to disagree. Look, I was a prosecutor for quite a while in Denver. We had enough real mm-hmm. crime to not invent it. And there were bad guys. And I was sort of a tough mm-hmm. prosecutor. And we used prosecutorial discretion to separate out the really bad guys in our society, the people who are causing damage, right? And if you were with me on that team, you'd have probably been fighting along. I'm just telling you that I see Donald Trump as an existential threat to democracy. I'm worried about him in a way that I can't get worked up about any other politician. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I, I do, and the right and the right way for people who feel that concern is to have it happen at the ballot box because it is unquestionable that the intelligence community has engaged in partisan operations. Okay, the Russia. If, if you go back to the Russia collusion story that that started, that has been whole cloth debunked. Oh, one hundred percent. No, no, we 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 go down the rabbit hole. Read Craig Unger. The guy's been laundering I, money for the Russians. The way he bowed and scraped to Putin in Helsinki. So, Come on, Eli. So he's a mobster, so look, and Putin's the biggest mobster. Would you agree <laughs> with this? Is there a Russian mafia? You're well traveled. Is there one? But yes, and I know uh, I know and, a bunch and, of people and, in the mafia. Who, who, is the, who is the head of the Russian mafia? It's Putin, right? It's Putin, correct. And he's yeah. the world's richest guy, right? And what is Trump? He's an easy mark. He loves money. Putin made him. So, and he bows look, and scrapes to Putin. Can't is, you see that? You're an Air Force this guy. Is a, Come on. This is, this is a statement of fact. Yes. That the Russian collusion story was made up. It started, I believe, in the Ted Cruz campaign. It got laundered over through um, through uh, a variety of sources over to Hillary Clinton's campaign. It got laundered over there to, and, and what I'm saying is, is 100%. Like this is undisputed fact. And, and the David FBI, Sanger's book about the, the the building in Leningrad, dedicated to social media in America, and. Uh, they bring like the NRA over. They 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 pressed on the hot button issues like gays and guns. That didn't really happen. Are you telling me that? No, I'm saying that. No, I'm saying the Russian collusion narrative 
that the Mueller investigation, if you read the Mueller report, talk about a nothing burger. I mean, the, according to the, the intelligence communities, now I'm going to back up to we talked about my uncle. My uncle wound up in Iraq because the intelligence communities botched it. The intelligence communities have been botching it for an awful long time. And, you know, they, they said Iraq had a functioning economy. We were going to walk in, be greeted as liberators. Mm-hmm. They basically you know, do a ticker taker. I mean, right. we, we didn't know what the hell was going on over there. Okay. And, and so th- this is undisputed fact. Okay. Now, I know that Russia is corrupt. My sport is dominated by Russia, Russians. I know multiple members of my sport who are in the mafia who I've known since we were young people training together. And that's what a lot of these folks over there do. Um, you know, it's not something I'm proud of with them. I mean, but that's, you know, if you win an Olympic gold medal, guess what? You get a Tosh Mafia. It's job. a so kleptocracy over there, right? Of it's course a, it is. Okay. All right. But, so, so look what but, Trump did. He's a kleptomaniac. He took that stuff okay, to Mar-a-Lago. He, he's perfect for these guys. So so there's, there's what was alleged that Mueller investigated was whole cloth debunked that he had a secret server set up to communicate with Russia. That was all made up by Christopher Steele. Did, okay? did, did Michael Cohen make up that he wanted a big Mos- he wanted Trump Moscow to be the biggest skyscraper in Europe? Don't you no, think was, that's was Trump- a big deal for his Russian no, but, connection? Okay, but uh, look, I've got Russian connections. Okay, I can give you a dozen people I know that I'm friends with in Russia. That doesn't mean that they were controlling my Senate campaign. Okay, so you're you're better than this as a lawyer, right? Like just because you happen all to be doing right, business in a place right. does not well, mean you're there. See, now so you're back, putting back me to, down as a lawyer. Maybe it's no, true. I'm, but I'm you've given saying, me two I'm hours saying, of a great conversation. Okay, but let me finish up on sure. this because you asked about the impeachment. I, I think I'll it's let important. You say whatever. I people people asked me right off the bat when I was running for Senate, who would you emulate? And I said Ben Nighthorse Campbell because now he switched parties, um, but I. I, I look at that era of politics where we were able to have disagreement mm-hmm. and get stuff done. Right. And, you know, I'm pro-life, okay, but I work a lot of policy issues around supporting adoption, foster to adopt, things like that, because that's an area where someone I can disagree with, we can find a way and say, hey, you know what, if you're a kid in a foster care home, let's find a way to get that kid in a forever home. Like, you, you can find points of agreement. And, you know, I think that's a problem on both Republicans and Democrats right now. I think that as it pertains to the Colorado election system, this caucus system has driven us off a ledge. Um, it doesn't reward people who look to solve problems. Or it rewards people who look to create problems. Uh, I see that on the right and I see it on the left, too, where I see, uh, you know, I don't see that, that we're trying to solve some problems at the national level. I'm horrified by what the Democrats are doing. Uh, the, the stories I'm hearing out of our military, uh, our military is at is is having an existential crisis that they cannot get enough recruiting because more and more people are saying, "I don't want my kids to go into the military." Um, we're having people not go into law enforcement. Sounds because, like every other business, hard to hire people. <laughs> well, it is, but it's you know other businesses. If I don't get my my Big Mac in time, it's not nearly as bad as if I don't have you know if I don't have. Uh, military officers, military enlisted who are prepared and ready for battle. Um, you know, I, I do think Russia is an existential threat to us. Incidentally, uh, if if Trump were an asset of Russia, they would have invaded during the Russian time. Russia invaded Crimea. They next Crimea during the Barack Obama uh, administration. They have now worked on annexing the rest of the Ukraine. 
And that's a whole nother can of worms because the Ukraine is the arms provider to many of much of the third world. And one of the things that Russia is trying to do, they, they destroyed the manufacturing facilities of the Ukraine. So the third world armies will now be reliant on Russia for their resupply for munitions uh, and helicopters and things like that. So uh, Russia is a much bigger threat than most people realize. And, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that this has turned into a political football where, it, you know, Russia is a threat. We need to recognize they're a threat. We need to do something about them. Well, I think you brought up the key point, which is that you are pro-life and you told a profound story about your own son and and it's inspirational and I respect your ability to be pro-life and I know Dan Kaplis well and if pro-life is your number one issue, wow, did Trump ever deliver? Three in a row made all the difference. The Dobbs case turned it around and you know, I've gotten involved in some political things and I've been a supporter of Israel, and I really didn't like the Iran nuke deal. I bet you didn't either. And I organized a rally on the steps of the Capitol, and I spoke out against it. And it kind of turned me against um, Obama to the point that I supported Romney. Uh, and, And yet when we gave them back all that money, I don't know if we needed to get out then, whatever. But the bottom line is, Donald Trump, when he talked about this stupid Iran nuke deal, it resonated with me, probably like his pro-life stuff resonated with you. But I just can't look the other way as a lawyer. And you brought up me being a lawyer. I can't look the other way as the rule of law gets twisted and nobody honors his subpoena anymore and nobody testifies. I just see big damage being done and... Nixon was like that, and it ended with good Republicans going to him and saying, no, and you've got the courage to confront Joe Altman and the powers that be in Colorado politics. Anyway, I I think that we've had a great discussion, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, Eli. I know you better now, and you're really a fascinating person. (laughs) Well, thanks. And I know a lot of people are sort of surprised by me because— I am a conservative. You know, people say, well, you're not conservative because you attack Joe Oldman. I said, no, I, you know, and I, I, I attack him because he's a jerk who's a cult leader who's destroying the party that I believe does the best good for America. You know, when it comes to presidential elections, you know, I'll support the candidate who I believe has the best chance of, of winning and representing my values. Um, and I have no problem saying that no candidate's perfect. Um, and I always remind people, we, we tend to hold people to very high standards who are not ourselves. And I say, I don't agree with every position I held five years ago and five years from now, I won't agree with every position I hold today yet for some reason, particularly in the Republican party, I guess Democrats do it too. We, we say, if you don't agree with me on every single position, you're my mortal enemy. So, you know, I, I like to get back to a point where there's some more intellectualism in politics, where it was, we're discussing real issues and bringing real solutions in and, you know, I, I mourn the fact that I think our country is devolving right now into, you know, hardcore left wing where we're trying to pack the courts and end fossil fuel production and, you know, destroy our military. And and then the Joe Altmans who say the election was stolen and we need to create a civil war. Neither one's right. And they're both bad for America. Well, I love talking to you, Eli. Thanks for the great conversation. Stay safe out there. And uh Let's stay in touch.
All right, sounds good. Sorry to take up so much of your time. No, no, it's wonderful. We had a lot to talk about. Be well, my friend. Okay. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep. And I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey. Thank you. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at craigscoloradolaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at Craig's Colorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. So there it is, as promised. Eli Bremer, thank you so much. Troubadour Dave Gunders, get home safely. Thank you for this American dream. Next week is shaping up to be a beauty. It starts the fall season, and we will stay all over the latest developments out of Mar-a-Lago and the DOJ. I predicted with Adam Frisch on my show the collapse of Mega World and the ascension of... People unlike Lauren Boebert and more like Adam Frisch. Thanks for listening every week. Until next time, have a great one. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.